Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome back to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Bloody FM, the number one horror podcast network out there. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and today we're tearing a page from some great minds before us. I'm talking about Randy Bachman, Fred Turner, Tim Bachman, and Robbie Bachman, because today, oh yeah. We're taking care of business. We've got some needful tweets to discuss. We've got a trip to Hollywood King, and part of that trip involves the big topic of Tinseltown today, the first trailer, and really our first look, at Rob Savage's highly anticipated King adaptation, The Boogeyman. But first, let's introduce our panel, and because this is kicking off the sweetest and sweetest and sweetheart month that is February... Let's have some fun and share our King crushes, mainly who we'd give a Valentine to in King's Dominion from Chicago. Earlier, I was referencing rock and roll titans, Bachman, Turner, Overdrive, and this guy, I mean, this guy, he knows the genre even more than the King himself, Elvis, aka Oscar-nominated hunk, Austin Butler. Randall, say hello and tell us you're a King crush. Hey, Rockin' Randall here. Uh, my king crush is, uh, wait, what is it? Polly Chalmers? Is that oh, her last name? From Chalmers Evil from Evil Things? Wow. Specifically as played by Bonnie Bedelia. Um, <laughs> as we were lusting damn. over her when we were watching the we were, director's we cut. We were lusting, yeah, when we yeah. watched that director's cut. So yeah, I think that's my, my big one. Um, I, I'd love to play her a song in my six string. Would you play her like Michael Kamen's theme to Die Hard if you, yeah. uh, you know? All right, here's a question, though. If you are going to meet Bonnie Bedelia, let's say that she was at, like, Flashback Weekend Horror here in Chicago. Oh, I don't know why. Like, would you have her sign a copy of Neville Things, or would you have her sign a copy of Die Hard 2? Um, I'd probably have her sign a copy of Needful Things, but I'd have her make it out to Macaulay because that is her nephew, and I'd say, I knew that about you, uh, oh. that you are Macaulay Culkin's aunt. Do you think and then she, she would be like, wow, you know a lot about my life. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Do you think in like after Die Hard 2, she was like, you need to like protect yourself, Macaulay. Your parents are ruining your financial <laughs> status and everything. <laughs> um, anyway, well, that's good. I'm glad you're here. And what a great turn of events we've already had in this episode. Uh, Bonnie Bedelia. Wow. What a, and also, hey, she's two for one here in, uh, Chicago, in uh, King's Dominion because she's also Susan. Yeah. In uh, Salem's Lot. So how about But I got to be honest, I prefer the older, wiser Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. From Needful Things. So does Max von Sydow, the late Max Mm -hmm. von Sydow. Well, look, let's stay in Chicago uh, because also from the second city, quite possibly the tallest man on earth. And I don't mean Christian Mattinson or Angus (laughs) Grimm. Little Justo, tell us your big crush in King's Dominion. Hey, this is uh, Justin Gerber. And Randall, I kept doing the, the... 
the twirling of the finger because I'm not kidding. My crush would be <laughs> Susan from Salem's Lot. Oh my god! <laughs> I thought you were telling me to wrap it up. No, no, no. Because you you were talking trash. I was. Talking I said specifically trash. because of Bonnie Bedelia. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, absolute crush, and specifically, I was. We were talking about this the other day. I'm not sure what throw we were on. God knows at this point, but. I was thinking about the, I believe the UK movie version of of Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot, but that was the alternate ending with mm-hmm. Ben finding Susan's vampire. Yeah, and man, she is so dreamy in that sequence, specifically, <clears throat> uh, deliberately as well. But that would be my crush, Bonnie Bedelia, specifically. Yes, yeah, okay. we should call this episode <laughs> Bonnie's Boys. Oh, oh, hey, hashtag Bonnie's Boys. <laughs> Bonnie's Boys. With a Z? So two so, Z's, always two Z's. with a Z, always. Well, Bonnie Boy Two. Uh, I asked Randall this question a little earlier, um, but if you had this, you know, if you saw Bonnie Bedelia at Flashback Weekend here in Chicago, <laughs> fill me what, in on this question. I forget what this was. What are you, you going to have uh, Bonnie Bedelia sign? Is it going to be Die Hard 2? Uh, is it going to be the UK version of Salem's Lot, the 35 millimeter print? Um, First of all, I don't think that thing was shot in 35 millimeter. I don't think it was shot in 35 <laughs> millimeter. I think they had no, to I break it, that but down. Not, but um, I think, Mike, I know that you probably agree with me because you agree with me on this take. You know, Die Hard 2 is one of my favorite action sequels of all time. Oh, so yeah. I probably have to least favorite, sign but, yeah. uh, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Oh, very cool. In some, in some territories, for sure. I love that movie. Well, maybe What's you love Harder. What's your problem with Die Hard 2, Mike? It's, I think it's just not that great. I, I think it's, it's, it's the, out of the trilogy. Ten. No, that's a, I'm not a big Rennie, fan of Die Hard 2. Rennie Harlan's best work. I love Die Hard 3. Love Die Hard 1. Not a huge Die Hard 2 fan. As much as but uh, look, you just heard him. He was he's he's kind of siding with me, and he certainly sides with me when I think about another uh, overrated uh, action uh, film sequel, <laughs> the Fast France, the Fast franchise. I'm not part of the family, and so far neither is uh, Caffrey. But he's part of this family, uh, from the Big Apple, a city that certainly knows a love story or two. Uh, Dan Caffrey, come on down from the Empire State Building and share your king crush. And I think you're out of Bonnie Bedelia, so no, you're gonna not have necessarily. To- uh, she was um, an answer to a trivia question this morning from the Ultimate Stephen King trivia book, which I do a quiz from every single morning. This is Dan Cocaine Caffrey because we are in Hollywood, so oh, got to keep the coke on a silver platter. Even though I know we're talking about romance now, so we're talking King Crush like on the screen, like an actress who played no, someone it, in the King the, property. The, Randall has just thrown a wrench into this by making I it like about the on the screen. Oh, the wrench is well, fun because you get a visual reference. Wrench and Randall. Because I was initially, and Mike, maybe Randall the wrench. Maybe you and I have podcast. the, uh, the same one on this. I was going to say just on the page, it would have to be uh, Sadie from 112263. Oh. I mean, just yeah. the, the, and honestly, not even because I, uh-huh, I don't even. Sure, uh-huh. Yep, okay, sure, then. No, no, listen, uh, now I'll do a visual one in a second. I'll do a so visual glad we, one. This is what happens. We have four guys on, on an yeah, no, yeah, I'm cracking just, open my Bud Light over everyone here. Everyone just losing their mind. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, I, I'm not even, go- I'm just going off. I mean, I think that's King's best romance. I have to go with that. But if I, hey, sure. l- hey listen, if, uh, if we're talking about the visuals, boys, and uh, I know you're a visual group. It's um, <laughs> being disgusting. No, honestly, as a kid growing up watching a lot of Stephen King movies, uh, look, man, Laura San Giacomo in the stands. Oh, just, yeah. uh, that's big for me. Through- through my nine-year-old mind for a loop when I, <laughs> I think I think that was some of the most graphic kind of stuff I'd seen on network television. So um, yeah, and I mean she's really good too. But like that, I have to go with her. That made such an impression on me as a a little boy. So that's you get two for me. What else do you want? Hey, See, that's I, great. You know, yeah. buy one get one free. Is it Bogo? Is that what they call it? Bo- Bogo. Yeah, buy one, do, get yeah. One? yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, hey, we got that. So you get <laughs> two Bonnies, one Laura. Um, and then also f- the fictional Sadie. Who am I going to go with? Well, 
I've got a big crush on the Colorado kid, uh, the molding rotten corpse <laughs> that has left, um, you know, those geriatrics on Moose Licket Island uh, befuddled for decades. Um, and I only say this to plug the last book episode, which I'm pretty <laughs> fucking proud of. And um, let's just say it's pretty clear that uh, not a lot of people read the Colorado kid. It's 150 pages. Go out and read it. Go listen to the episode. It's a lot of fun. That's my Valentine to you. I was going to say, I knew you were just bullshitting because if if there's a corpse we're lusting after, it's the one in The Shining. That's the oh, that absolutely king yeah. corpse to uh, lust after. Do you do you go after the the actress from the 1980 version or uh, Cynthia Garris, which is uh, we 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 all know who Stephen goes after. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, say, I think I take after Mr. King in that. Uh, I'm going to go Cynthia, after the hello. I would go after the the. I think there's a slight stunt double stunt double in. Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, I believe, oh. it's somebody else in that tub. Oh, wow. Remember. Interesting. I think it's, some of it's different. I think some of it's different. It was me. Bonnie um, <laughs> I said Steven. I, uh, I just Bonnie scrolled up Bedelia. on set. And, uh, yeah, what, what if it was Bonnie Bedelia? And that would be her <laughs> link in there. Um, I reached oh. out, by the way, to Mel and Jen, asking who their favorite Let me uh, guess King who crushes Jen is. are. So this is not just oh, total. Jen's <laughs> is going to be like someone in a sweater. <laughs> it's going to be Alexander Skarsgård as, as Randall Flagg. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 100%. Anybody. Especially yeah, since she's 100%. coming off of Infinity Pool this weekend. She already texted me about it. So, um, yeah, I saw some picks. All saw right, well, picks. if I'm not going to pick the Colorado kid, I'll, I'll pick, um, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll stray a little bit here. I'll go with, um, hmm, who will I go with? This is a hard You already said Sadie, the fictional Sadie. And I got to say... Sadie Dunhill in 112263, which we'll be covering later this year. Um, great, great adaptation. Um, Played by Sarah Gadon. Sarah Gadon. She's great in that. But um, also, come on. What are you fucking nuts? It's Rob Lowe. Like Rob Lowe as, as uh, you know, um, not as... Um, Nick not Andrews? As, yeah, Nick Andrews. I'm going with Nick Andrews. I'm not going to okay. go with him as uh, I can Ben hear. Mears. Ben I'm Mears. Tall. Well, it, it, it just, you know, he <laughs> looks pretty cool in that movie. But anyway... He is very good looking in that movie. You see Bad I, Influence, Mike. We have, I think you might enjoy it. Look, I have been seeing that fucking poster for Bad Influence ever since <laughs> you willed it into existence <laughs> on the Child's Play episode. I've seen it on, like, I, I saw it on, like, um, on network television. It popped up. Then it popped up on my streaming thing. I don't know if it's just because the phone might be listening, but the thing is, is that I never said Bad Influence until just now. So, like, the phone would have to read our texts. And if that's it the might case, just then we're in a lot of trouble. Possible. Well, then hey, we're in trouble. I got, I've got some breaking news. Oh, okay. From Mel Castle. Yeah. What's her cross? I said, you know, who's your king character crush book or movie? He said, Richie from It. Which one, though? Uh, hopefully book? the adult one. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Specifically, it says Seth Green. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> she says book and movie. Bill Trains. Hader. Bill Hader. Um, and, oh, cool. Yeah, Bill Hader is also probably her top Hollywood crush currently. A little more insight for you. Her big crush is Bill Hader. Um, Saturday Night Live. Assuming this is for an app, but tell me yours. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta say Bonnie. Right. And, and this is just something else that I'm definitely not going to repeat here on the podcast. Okay. Whoa, well, look, Christ. Look, wow, Mel. <laughs> it's you, very funny, but I don't know if she wants me to, to say on the podcast. So, well, constant listeners, if you couldn't tell, um, well, we're, we're off the rails. This is just this this episode has gone to fucking hell and the less than eleven rails. minutes, and cocaine. it's because we have the OG cast on here. These are this is the, these are the hands that built America, uh, aka the Losers Club, and it's been a while. I will say it's been a while. Um, it's been a while since since we've actually all been together like this on an episode. I, I can't remember the last time the four of us were on an episode. So this is a special day. That's hey, Mac. As a matter of fact, it's been years. It, it I think. favorite one is yeah. It's been you know, years, right? I feel like it's, it's been, been a years long time. 
I mean, we we all see each other and talk to each other all the time. It's not like it's not like, but this combination of people. It's been a while. Is, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, we've it's it's been you know you get little bits in here and there. It's like um. What's what's the band where they kind of do this sometimes where like there'll be a, like weird reunions and then you don't always get everyone together. REM does this now, doesn't it? Where it's like Michael Stipe will pop up on stage and with someone else, it would but be it's like never a, the like whole a, band. You know, it's like it's like a broken social scene. Pro- like yeah, yeah, new pornographers sometimes Bayhars there, sometimes oh, yeah. Bayhars not there. You know. Okay. Well, since we have the OG cast on here, and I just mentioned Colorado Kid, and none of you guys are on that episode. Um, Randall, I know you haven't you haven't read it, right? Randall, I haven't. That's and I'm okay. going to before the end of the pod because I'm going okay. to try to read everything. Okay, Kaffer, you've read Colorado Kid, right? Yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah, I have. What are your thoughts Randall, on Randall, you could probably Kid? read this book now I know. before we actually finish <laughs> yeah. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so short of this. I remember thinking it didn't deliver on the hard case crime thing, which I think is the point a little bit. Like it almost, I remember thinking that the mystery and the crime itself didn't have a satisfying conclusion, that it was almost more about like this kind of story within a story than... Than, than the more visceral aspects of what you would want from a pulpy novel. That's why yeah. I remember, but I don't remember a ton about it. Am I accurate oh, no. in that assessment? It's yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, to be fair, yes, because that's kind of what we discussed in the episode, and uh, Rachel brought in some incredible insight in how it is hard-boiled. And so, you know, go listen to the episode. But yeah, I think we're on the same page on that, in that I'll respect. Be, uh, I'll be... Actually, wait, because... Colorado Kid, the episode's out before Faithful, right? Because I got it's already Faithful. out, yeah. So, so yeah, I should read. Col- okay, because I was going to do Faithful then Colorado Kid, but I'll have to flip that. Um, I mean, I can do Colorado Kid like uh, tomorrow. Yeah, you could probably finish short. it before I get to Hollywood King tonight uh, to, to <laughs> build you, on Randall's to build on Justin's joke. Justin, you not a big fan though, because not uh, a big fan. I can't really get into detail as to why I'm not a fan because I don't want to spoil it for people yeah. who haven't read it. Because you, you, I mean, I would literally be spoiling why I don't like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, I will not spoil this following statement. Mel has said her last text was meant for public consumption. Oh, wow. All right. Go for it, then. So in addition to Bill Hader being a crush, as well as Richie Tozier, growing up Richie Tozier, she said, also, you know, I'd fuck with some Tommyknocker tentacles. All right. All right. No, I I relate it as she said. Hentai. uh, We're on, like, fucking Pornhub uh, hentai right now. But... um, Yeah, anyway. are they a sponsor? <laughs> I wonder if there they is Tommy Knocker's porn out there. Oh, there I'm has, sure there, there is. is. Like, Please don't here. Google it. Please yeah. don't Google it. I'm on my work computer, so I'm not going <laughs> to okay, Google it on my <laughs> computer. I'll do it on my phone. Real quick. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, given Rule 34, which if you don't know what that means, just go Google it. But Rule 34, Ooh. I'll just explain it. Rule 34 is basically if you thought about it, it's on the internet somewhere and probably in porn form. Um, and for some reason, I just thought of like the idea of someone really getting into unsolved mysteries and having like Robert Stack fucking all the people and stuff. But um, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh, anyway. oh, but sorry, I got distracted by the tentacle uh, Tommy knock the tentacle and Tommy knockers. Oh, um, I will say this about the Colorado Kid. Sometimes I don't like King books because <laughs> what a, what a I feel like. Oh, how about that? From from Maine to Colorado, no, and back to Maine actually. Yeah. Uh, I I sometimes like King books or stories you sense that they get away from him and, and you kind of get turned off by them. But in this instance, I fully grasped what he was trying to do and yeah. did. I, that's just not the storytelling I enjoy. And it reminds me of a book I also read recently that I won't give away either because I kind of would spoil the ending of The Colorado Kid. But uh, there's, there's my more or less spoiler-free answer. All right, well, look, clearly you guys didn't love The Colorado Kid, but uh, let's see if you love the latest Needful Tweets. He's not a human being. Boo! Don't you see what he's done? 
Kill them all! Let God sort them out! Alright. Um, well, Randall. Yeah? Do you want to take the first one? Yeah, okay. Let's break down some tweets here. So, on January 2nd, 2023, King rang in the new year with this tweet. You want to start the year with a horror story? Here it is. We began the year of the Walking Dead with a party. We ate caviar. Then the zombies ate us. The end. I have a confession to make. Hold on. I have a confession to make. I don't know what this means. Am I missing something? Yeah. Um, I don't know either. Is it like, what is he? Is there some uh, Walking Dead reference? I mean, capitalizes Walking Dead like he's talking about the show. It does seem like he's talking about the show. And I guess, I mean, 2022 saw the ending of The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. But, but I don't, but I, I wouldn't call it the year of The Walking Dead. Well, maybe he just really loves it and saw it that way. Like, maybe maybe it's funny, like, we eat the caviar and then zombies would eat us. I don't or, know. I, we just, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally First we eat the pig there. and then together we burn. We, we, we burn. <laughs> we, um, is he, he's not making, like, a political joke, is he? Like, oh, I don't know. Brain dead zombie Republicans or maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that's what. Yeah. That's all I got. Like Mike, Mike, I I read this tweet like ten times. Yeah. Right now. I know. <laughs> what am I missing? A true brain buster over here. Well, yeah, speaking of he... brains, uh, where did you drop off uh, on Walking Dead, Caffrey? I feel like you are the closest to me because I, I look. I'll full full uh, confession. I, I finished the whole thing because I'm mm. nuts and I have way too much time on my hands at home. Um, not good, uh, but Caffrey, I feel like you're the second closest to me in finishing it, right? You're like, yeah, only two I was away. reviewing it for a while over at CBR. I mean, years ago, I, and Mike, you and I have talked about this. I mean, obviously, the first couple seasons have a lot of really good stuff in it, and there's some great episodes, but that show for a long time was really good at starting off yeah. great yeah. and then ending a season, if not great, at least in a way that made you want to come back for more. Yeah. Like, it would always be just good enough to keep you watching. That was me with Ozark. Yeah, no, it was a similar kind of thing. You right? finished and it, so, though, right? No, I finished um, it. But I remember why. I remember the episode I left off on, and I was like, "All right, no more." Is was when I think we can spoil this because everyone knows about oh, it. Yeah, yeah, Andrew yeah. Andrew Lincoln left, and it was just the most incomprehensible Deus Ex Machina storyline, and I was kind of done after that. Oh um, wow, I thought you, I thought you stuck with it to the no. I, I mean, the problem with watching something for that many seasons is you feel like you should, right? You're mm-hmm. like, I put so much into this, and I will say. I consistently liked the comic. I didn't finish it, but I, I got almost to the end of the comic. I think there's two more volumes I'd have to read. Um, but I maintain on that show because the, the show weirdly, well, I don't know if this holds true all the way till the end, Mike, but I felt like the show actually started getting closer to the comic toward the end of its run. It, it was did. It was starting to parallel it. But the thing is, the comic goes to these really extreme over-the-top places, and you can just get away with that more on the comic book page than you can on screen. That was my thought towards the end. Like, even with with um, Rick leaving and all that, I was like, I just... It's kind of steeped... It's supposedly steeped in this gritty realism, but it doesn't really live up to that when you have these outlandish events like that happening. So that's when I decided to stop. I'll probably finish it at some point, just, to, you know, in the background while I work or something. I, um, I would say the only thing to really finish... Because you, since you watched all the way out till at least Rick leaving, is I would got, watch what, three seasons left. Then I think you have or? like about three, and they're really rough. I mean, there are some yeah. parts where it comes back around because then it eventually starts pivoting over to Michonne being the the lead, and she's it always does that. It always comes back, and you're like, oh, I'll stay for a little bit, and then it just. But like, yeah. oh man, like this this last season was fucking awful, and uh, the thing is that 
there's some real highs like there there you know the penultimate season i believe it's the penultimate maybe it's the season before that it, it all blurs together for me but there's a, a one a standalone episode about negan that's like his origin story and it's fucking great. Like it's a really good episode, and I, that, I was that kind of blown away by really it. Really good. Yeah, I've read it, that. I've, that that that's actually probably around when I stopped reading the comic. That's an, that, I do like that storyline a lot. I mean, yeah. there's some really good performances on it. I actually really yeah. liked Jeffrey Dean Morgan a lot as Negan. Um, Are you going to turn into Dead City with <laughs> Negan and oh Maggie? God, which is the, the Negan uh, thing got annoying because because I was covering the show when he got introduced, and um, you know, in retrospect, I actually think the way they handled the two deaths was kind of shitty for many mm-hmm. reasons um, oh yeah i agree towards those characters and those actors and everything. but anyway i remember when i was um when he got introduced and i always thought he was really good on the show but i just got burned out fast on it because the discourse around it just became oh my god he's so fucking oh, cr- evil <laughs> like he's such a badass and he's over here saying poopy peepee mayor peepee town and stuff and once again on the page that works well you can get away with that but to have a grown grizzled man saying those words it just comes off kind of funny and he, he even one good. as cool as jeffrey dean Morgan. oh yeah and he's and he's an excellent actor i really like jeffrey dean morgan i like him in that role but it and it just got annoying it was almost like a precursor to a lot of the Snyderverse shit we saw yep. of just people being like, oh, man, get ready. Here's a fucking badass. <laughs> didn't you, oh, man, uh, didn't yeah. you kind of get that forecasted when he was first introduced in the comic? Like, I remember when he, I, when he first appeared, I was like, oh, no, I can't wait. <laughs> I could wait a little while until this asshole pops up in the show. Like, he's just so annoying. Like, every fucking comment was just like, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. fuck. Well, I, was, I remember there was, uh, was when so we were like, living in, in Austin, um, Su- I won't say names, but Susan was in a show uh, at a theater company that i really like and um we went out one night after the show and like a friend of one of her castmates came to the bar with us and they're like oh this guy is cool he does improv and everything and, and you know I, I know it's cliche to make fun of improvisers but at first the guy seemed nice enough and then everything he said was just like a one-liner and usually cutting down someone else and it just it got so fucking annoying and i'm like this guy <laughs> sucks like he's just everything that comes out of his mouth is just like he's he's just like on all the time yeah. and it uh, yeah i won't i, I don't remember his name What's i remember his name? the friend was his name Negan? <laughs> it was Negan. Negan. He was wearing a like a leather jacket and his hair slicked back for some reason. Why did he have a bat with nails? Um, Randall, just I feel like you guys copped off of Walking Dead early, early, early on. I right? think you could do an oral history of me talking negatively about the Walking yeah. Dead on this podcast, so yeah. I'm gonna abstain from it. Okay, more. okay, that's <laughs> fair. I, Randall, though, you did you only watch like the first or second season, or did you? Watch- I dropped off after I think I got bored during the third season, the first time I was watching it, and I, and I checked out. But then I got back into it when it was a hit Netflix, and I watched I think through like season five. Oh, I, wow. I think the last season I watched it was before the guy with the tiger shows up oh that, like, that's yeah oh, god <laughs> ezekiel ezekiel that was when i dropped off because yeah. i remember seeing i was like should i watch like the next season of walking dead like because i had you know i wasn't sure and then when i saw that like characters like that were being introduced i'm like i think i'm i think I'm you're smart I, I still remember the and once again ezekiel i had no problem with in the comic but it just it doesn't quite work it doesn't um work. i we i remember on the text thread when he was first introduced I don't remember the context, but I, I remember often referring to him as a Shakespearean moron. Yeah. <laughs> just the so worst. I, so funny. It, it was just, I, I remember even on the comic, I was like, you guys are just, just jumping yeah. the shark here. I know it's a fucking comic book, but um, I, I, anyway, I, I bring up all of this just because, um, you know, this tweet doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, but also <laughs> because there's been, I've, I've noticed online a lot of people when the last of us first popped up, they were kind of like, uh, this kind of seals mm-hmm. like the same old, same old blah, blah, blah. Do you feel 
the longevity of The Walking Dead, the fact that it's splintering off into like God, what like three fucking spinoffs. Yeah, I Did think it affect the splash of Last of, Last of Us. Yeah, yeah, like I think anecdotally, I noticed a lot of exhaustion around that show because, uh, like I think there was a lot of anticipation for it in the sense that it was like a new show from the guy who did Chernobyl, and you know people really like that, and people love Pedro Pascal and stuff. And but I think uh, in terms of of a lot of people that were in my orbit. I think even like Justin, I feel like maybe even you guys approached it a little bit like, eh, like, do I want another zombie show? I remember like you guys not being too stoked about it before it came out, but it seems to have won, won us all over. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. I mean, I, I've never played the video game, but to, to be fair, I haven't played a video game in decades. So you know. NFL Blitz, right? But uh, NFL Blitz, the great headquarters <laughs> a couple weeks ago, by the way. <laughs> muscle memory, my friend, muscle memory. Nice. But I will say... Watching the second episode specifically of The Last of Us, I thought to myself, wow, if only AMC gave The Walking Dead money. I know. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it, it opens up the world so much in that second episode. And every time I think about The Walking Dead, all I think about are just trees. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and there's not a lot of trees in sight in that second episode. And the way, and that, but that's HBO money, you know? That's, there's just so much more that they can do on the show. Yeah. And hopefully they don't like let it run for you know, 10, 11 seasons. I, I apparently it's supposed I to only last two seasons. And I hope yeah. that, that, yeah, that I mean, respects Craig Mason's decision or whatever. Yeah, there's this interesting, they're really hewing close to the games. And then they're like the third episode, which just aired is, is a good example of them taking something that has like crumbs of story in the game and then be, basically being like, let's, let's stretch this out. And then they, they do it in a really cool way. But they, it's, it's, it's interesting because the co-creator co-showrunner is like the guy who did the narrative for the game. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very beholden, I think to the game, which I, I love the game. I haven't played the sequel because you have to kill dogs, but I'll, I think I'm going to swallow my, my fear and give it a shot. But I'm yeah. Like I think that they're very big on if we did another season, they're very like mainly talking that down, but I could see them maybe doing it because there is talk about a Last of Us 3 video game. So that mm-hmm. I feel like regardless though, I don't think Mazin wants to take it beyond what Neil Druckmann, who is the the narrative designer for the game, I think he Mazin doesn't want to take it beyond what that guy wants to do, which I think is cool. It seems like there's a lot of like course correction too, because I've been reading a lot of the interviews after each episode and like specifically even the second one when they talk about and this isn't even really a spoiler, but like with the veins into the ground and all um mm. just talking about the roots like that's not in the game um and oh, it's not. because no because in the game they have spores and they basically they basically conceded that like you we can't do the spores because the spores are gonna be too much of a problem and it's gonna take it, it also makes it much easier for everyone to get sick and everyone have to be in the fucking masks and so they came up with the new system and when they did the the creator of the game the co-creator was like fuck why didn't we think of this like it's such a cool idea so i do feel like there's sort of like maybe not actually like course correction because there's these ideas in the game are pretty fucking great but it certainly seems like there's a a nice marriage that are going on which never happens like never happens with these type of fucking adaptations well i will um, say i think another thing about the spores is that they probably didn't want people to get confused with uh, the plot of G.I. Joe the movie, of course. Oh, that's... Cobra Commander and Cobra Law have the BET, the Broadcast Energy Transmitter, uh, release spores upon the world, I believe, mutated into snakes. Is that the rock, the 
Channing Tatum one? Absolutely not. It's the cartoon. Is, from is that how Cobra Commander turns and Burgess Meredith? <laughs> is that how Cobra Commander turns into an actual snake? It is. Dan has a good question. That, yeah. It is in the flashback. It is he was a genius scientist, and then he um, got exposed to the spores, and and he became a, a part snake. Which yeah. was which spoiler alert in the film. Yes. You know, it's pretty incredible. The Justin's the most unpredictable fucking person I know because <laughs> you don't you I, I I you know and I still kick myself that the. Actually, I kicked both of ourselves because the, the two people on the podcast that like toys more than anyone else weren't actually on the fucking first episode of Child's Play. And so you guys are all talking about toys. And it felt like I was listening to aliens talk about uh, like like things on Earth because you guys were like, yeah, I mean, I had a He-Man toy or whatever. And was just like, you motherfuckers, you, it's the 80s. It's like so many toys you could talk about. But then you talk, talk about, about G.I. Joe and Star Wars. But and then you talk about G.I. Joe here. And I'm like, oh. So you know so much about GI Joe, and yeah. yet I I would never believe in my life that you GI Joe were the best GI Joe figures. I hundred uh, like, percent agree. GI Joe are the best. And, uh, Transformers and, are way better. Uh, we, uh, Transformers you can keep Transformers. GI Joes you could yank apart. They had that dumb cord that just connected yeah, them. That cool. was all. Wait, like, like Bazooka and Lady Jane. So you had yeah. you had GI Joe toys. Hundred percent. I grew up on GI Joe. I can't even imagine you sitting there with GI. I feel like you'd be like Absolutely. Egon and like take them apart. And no, no. I played. We played. We had imaginations. He would make them hump each other and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so like, I'm gonna jerk off Cobra Commander. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hey, anyway. Justin, <laughs> I was once a man. Uh, you led the way. Mm. Uh, with G.I. Joe's, but you also led the way in, in leaving Twitter. So why don't you take the next tweet? <laughs> <laughs> the Last of Us over here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, King. On January 8th, wrote, There are persistent rumors that I have left Twitter. I have not. I may do so eventually. There are many things about the Musk iteration of the site that I don't care for, but that day is not today. You don't fix a thing by leaving it. Interesting. <laughs> Why is he so serious? Like, it reads like it was, like, uh, checked by a PR firm. This reads like out. everybody else who has said that they're going to leave Twitter and didn't <laughs> leave Twitter. My problem with this with is that leave Twitter or don't. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't care. I, I, I just about say it. goodbye. I just leave I just Twitter or don't. But don't act like your decision either way is some kind of uh, sacrifice for the greater good of humanity. Because that's how oh everyone's God. at. That's my my problem. Isn't people leaving Twitter or not leaving Twitter? But I, I mean, and and it's not just like normies like us. It's like famous people are doing this shit too. They were literally posting stuff like this, and then within hours we're tweeting again. It was or with hours or just like or like look at my lunch, you know. The the best is uh, <laughs> is all the the critics I saw that were like I'm leaving, and then like Sundance rolls around, and they're like come back, you know. Like, <laughs> and, then, and, then they're, and then Mike, then they're apologizing for being back. But then you're yeah. like, well, why are you apologizing so to the people who are like, still who there? Like, I know. I'm so sorry, man. Cares, I don't know. Man. Uh, right, I just we'll love ask. you can't you you don't Ugh. fix a thing by leaving it. Like how is Stephen King like actively working to f- quote unquote fix Twitter? <laughs> like, I know. And, uh, you're never there. gonna fix it. The fucking thing is built by other algorithms. It's just it's gonna been broken the world. for what it's doing. It's always been bad, right? It's, it's always yeah. just, you can say like <laughs> Musk has made it even more annoying. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, because he's apparently he annoying. An- because sure, he is but, annoying. Yes. But I mean, it was the fucking Saudi billionaires that it was shitty under their like, role too. Yeah. <laughs> people being like, find um, me over at Mastodon. I'm like, well, what's so good about Mastodon? How do you know who created that? I'm guaranteed it's some <laughs> asshole with money because that's who creates all these things, which means it was the probably, basis. It was the basis for Mastodon. Yeah. That would be oh, uh, <laughs> that would oh you be mean, sweet, br- actually. Oh, yeah. you mean uh Troy Sanders. Yeah, he's a cool guy, Dan. So why don't you stop talking shit about Troy Sanders? I'm a big Mastodon fan. So if Mastodon on social network, Maybe I should go start my account and tell people. Jason guys posting photos of guns. But hey, man, they're they're Georgians. No, I love them. 
Jason Isbell, the uh, country artist formerly of Drive By Truckers, he had a, he was also from oh, the south. F- a fellow uh, Twitter friend of mine. Actually. Oh, is he? I love yeah. you. He's awesome, man. Yeah, uh, I got Starfucker a, over here, huh? That's well, I'm, I'm doing a big, uh, big marathon yeah. listen to all their albums right now, so they're all there. Oh, anyway, cool, but, um, but Jason Isbell had a very funny tweet. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, I tried to join Mastodon, but they play too fucking fast. And I was like, that's a good, that's that's cool. a good yeah. tweet. That's, that's well, why. And you know, Mike, you have a, a you asked some, you have a question here. What are the benefits to staying on Twitter? And you know what? It's jokes like that. Yeah. And here's what I want to say about this. Well, like, I, I want to ask you this, Justin, because yeah. you've left. Okay. Is yeah. your life, would you say your life is better now that you're off of it? I, I, I'm not kidding. I feel like I'm not on my phone as much. I swear I sleep better at night. I swear it. But here's the thing. I understand, like, like especially Randall and, and Mike, <laughs> you guys cannot leave Twitter. I know. I'm, and I, mean, I understand I'm, that 100%. It's, it's media. It. You, you can't really leave. So I, I, I would never say to you guys, like, you guys should leave. Like, I don't, if you want to stay on Twitter, that's great. But I, I'm just not on Twitter anymore. And. I, I do enjoy getting on our threads, you know, some great tweets. Oh, yeah. That, I yeah. send the they're good basically, stuff. Yeah. They're great. The great stuff. And, and most of the time they reinforce my decision. Like, oh, God, I'm happy I'm not just seeing this all the time. But, um, yeah, I just think that uh, I feel like the only good thing that ever came out of Twitter was the sex Jeffs. The, the Egyptian uprising <laughs> 10 years ago. And, oh, and yeah. the way that that was covered through Twitter. Oh, yeah. I can't think of a really good thing that's come in the last 10 years from Twitter. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess somebody I posted really somebody, brain. Like, somebody posted a great Curb Your Enthusiasm scene that I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, and that, yeah, was, that was like good. fun to rewatch. I will well, say I this. Wish I, 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 and I tried for years <laughs> to cultivate. I got to the point where I think I had muted 500 words, 200 accounts. Jesus Christ. I, I think I muted more things than I was following. And it was just to the point. It's like it's honestly like it's like The Walking Dead. You know, you think you got them all, and all of a sudden a zombie shows up in the That's barn. True. You know, it's like yeah. it's just always there to to really zap my brain. I, but then I you miss great. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Well, no, I do think that Randall, Randall Justin told you this. I do think sometimes, sometimes it actually does connect people that maybe you would not have access to otherwise. Case in point, I just reread Downtown Alley, Chuck Klosterman. Klosterman, sorry. Oh. And I I love that book, and I just had some questions about it, like analytical questions. I just and I just. Direct messaged him on Twitter, uh, probably a couple weeks ago. And I didn't expect weird her. weird fucking fans. No, no, I even said, I'm like, look, I know you get a lot of these. Uh, you probably won't answer, blah, blah, Um Today, he you know, messaged me back that said, oh, thanks so much for thinking about the book deeply. Here's uh, some answers to your questions. Now, that doesn't mean him and I are buddies or that I'm going to call him up and uh, go play hockey in Minnesota with him or something. But what point? my point being is that I probably would not have gotten that insight or you know that response from him if it weren't for twitter now does that justify his existence probably not right but like i mean oh, no, well, I, I guess i'm saying I mean, is like, like the connection aspect is real i think you should have I, asked him again, if he likes stephen king and wants to come on the podcast <laughs> well, his ear. Here, here's the here's yeah, the problem though. i guarantee you there are other people who do that and he gets back to them and it's like oh cool chuck uh do you want to you know i, I think oh, that yeah, can totally. also go into creepy territory also chuck so. you said we were going to be friends friends. i just gotta go i mean i meant what i meant to say was for the greater good of society I mean, yeah, I, was, I had yeah. a great time on Twitter. Things went viral, and you know, we have a good time with all that stuff. But it's yeah. just like both sides become absolutely annoying and abhorrent. In my but opinion. then you get oh, yeah. great drill. T- you get drill tweets that you're like, <laughs> I wish block. That's what, I wish but, block. Hold on, I'm re- how to read this. <laughs> I wish Blockbuster was still around so I could ask the man behind the counter which Pinocchio movie will upset my children the least amount. <laughs> <laughs> This or is what I'm talking okay about. Guess, I, what, I, have, guess what, guys? I've, I've got drill reviews <laughs> on Letterboxd. So I do love Letterboxd. Here, here's his Letterboxd review of Avatar The Way of Water. 
What combo of substances can I take to give myself PTSD during Avatar premiere IMAX? I, I want to come out of there screaming like a Vietnam vet. I mean, that's some good stuff. But I get that litter box, you know? It's fine. I, Here's another one. He said, goers of film, which movie fuck-pilled you in 2022? And which movie will you be fucking and sucking in 2023? If you reply to this, I'll block you. <laughs> This is why I stand. Uh, well, that's yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know. I for me, I'm on Twitter just because of the social media accounts, and I'm you know yeah, kind of, of helping out and stuff. But I'm also gotten so bored that I'll just like sit there sometimes, and I'll just like be like, "What's the most innocuous thing I could possibly ever tweet?" Um, and I and then I'll go in these stretches, and and then it drives Sammy nuts because she's like, "You don't understand. Like, you, you if you do it all the time, people will get it, but you only do it every once in a while, and that's true." <laughs> so everyone always I'll go in, serious. I'll go stretches. Well, I'll just be like, like last week I tweeted the dumbest fucking tweet. I said, "When the dinosaurs first appear in Jurassic Park, you could have sworn there was magic just popping out of the screen. <laughs> Certainly a blockbuster moment." And everyone thought I was fucking earnest. And, and granted, I I'm not I'm not saying I'm not lying. I'm not lying here because I would agree with that. But, but why would I? Randomly base, write it's the this. most base tweet, right? It's of the course, was, and I, and I wrote it like four o'clock on a fucking Thursday. Like, why is someone <laughs> tweeting about Jurassic Park? And then, and then, then I'll just tweet things just just to be like, as see how like the most basic thing ever could possibly get likes. And the but one that's I said how Twitter was, is like well, every tweet that has a hundred k is like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? But, the, but, those, <laughs> but those tweets, uh, those those tweets are the equivalent of to what I like. This is what I tweeted to 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 kind of match that. Whenever I Grubhub and it says driver is near, I get excited because it means the food is almost here. <laughs> that, like That's that stupid. to me is ninety percent of Twitter is these stupid fucking tweets that like are it's waste. It's now being saved and stored in a hard drive somewhere in fucking you know San Bernardino Valley or whatever the fuck it is, and and it's going to take up storage for the the rest of the time until we melt over. And because- I'll just say this, Mike, for all the listeners out there, be sure to subscribe to the Losers Club, Stephen yeah. King podcast on Twitter. Yep. And while you're there, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to Halloweenies? Uh, yeah, we should. L- look, <laughs> my advice, stop following reporters, yeah. start yes. following podcasts, Shit and uh, absolute fucking freaks. Those and are drill, the only yeah. people you should follow. And drill, obviously. Well, uh, that's wh- wh- one last question on this. Do we think King is, is, goes back to being more mysterious if he's off Twitter, though? Of course. Mm. Yeah, every, you know what? Everybody's more mysterious off Twitter, and guess what? Everybody, that was such a, that was such a pointed in the fucking world, question. Everybody in the world should be more mysterious. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, 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 we weren't meant to know this much about off, people if they were off Twitter. We weren't Myself meant included. to know this much about people. Anyways, King is a very sweet man, and I love him to death. And I wish Same. he would log off. Yeah, I, I, I just, I wish everyone would log off Twitter. I wish we would just kind of like go outside and you know play baseball or something. Um, <laughs> you mentioned, hey. hey. <laughs> I've Go got the tweet glove, that, I got Mike. the bat. Just say that. Give me the word, Mike. Justo, you miss. You said "Mystery Man," which is certainly my favorite track off the Heat soundtrack, but also wow. a synonym I'd say for Caffrey. Uh, please, Mystery, Mister Mystery Man, <laughs> Mister Mystery Man, Caffrey. <laughs> Almost please. <to> transition. <laughs> uh, All right, here's the next one. Okay. Go for the next one. What song would be playing on Hell's Elevator going down? I vote for Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. What's your thought on it? And that's, of course, the, you know, we had joy, we had fun, we had Seasons in the Sun. Um, you should have looked at some of the replies. I bet there was some freak fucking replies oh, yeah. to this. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't love or hate that song, but I think it's because I only know the chorus. I just know we had joy, we had fun, we had Seasons, we had seasons in, the in the Sun. What do you guys think of that song? Do you know? have any more knowledge of it? Yeah, incredibly inoffensive. I have no issues with Seasons in the Sun, yeah. to be honest with you. 
Well, so I'm, what I'm would more be... familiar with the uh, me first and the gimme gimme. <laughs> oh, do they cover that? <laughs> oh, yeah. they probably do. Uh, they cover everything. They cover everything. Uh, co- so they probably right, cover so... like the theme for Shield or, or not Shield, uh, the Shield. Yeah, Is there I a wish theme? they would cover the theme for the Shield. It's a great song. Yeah. So yeah. what song? What song would soundtrack your elevator trip to oh, hell? Mine would be. It's funny because I actually. It's because I can't disassociate the song from its music video. Randall, I know you know this song. It's a song by the band Fuel. Yes. Falls on me. It's in your beautiful face. Falls on me. And I, I mean, whatever. It's a fine Fuel song, I guess. We but love the video Fuel is, on this podcast. Oh man, it's so funny because the and I found out later that this was actually before like half the members left the band. So you know, this wasn't the actual case. But it's one of those videos where they just try to film them like hanging out in the studio, like it's Cinema Verite. <laughs> it's obviously not. It's obviously curated. And they show them playing basketball, and the guitar player like does the thing where he looks in the camera extends the basketball like whoop and then it like he's pulls gonna it. <laughs> yeah then pulls it back and then there's another shot where the bassist um they just cut to him his finger and he balances his guitar pick on his finger just nods like real cool and i i don't know why i can't disassociate this really dumb video from the song so and it feels not that great anyway so that would be I my disagree. yeah really do you actually like fuel I i'm a big like fuel that. head yeah I, I mean shimmer is to me one of the best songs of the 90s and that's can, not can you hum a, can you hum some of the shimmer uh Called from the <laughs> Just when I was What about hemorrhage? I love these episodes give the Seekus all singing together. <laughs> Please cut in a couple of fuel bits. No, oh, we can't do that. This is what got this is why we can't have the OG cast anymore because this is what got us in trouble in the first place. Remember all those episodes that we had to take off for oh, yeah, about a year and a half? House because yeah, because we just randomly throw fucking tracks in the you know, I think joke. I think that's when I was Jeff Franklin's got more to worry about right now than if we have a <laughs> from full house in our episode yeah i think that's when i was Google still editing that. like I, I had like no i was just a, a renegade i know <laughs> i respected no copyright laws mm. on that what what about the rest of you guys what would be like the worst uh oh. song yeah uh i got one i got one. mambo well, number five because oh, it's no the way. most yeah. annoying no it is the most annoying ubiquitous song that song does it, suck I've like got it's, worse it's not a good song, and they play it all the time, and I know all the words, and that's what sucks, is that I, one, I sing two, along with it. One, two, three, four, yeah. five, everybody go up, make I feel like that's set. a song. I feel like that's a song that would be playing like right when you walk into like Universal Studios City Walk or something. <laughs> Mike, I'm not jo- no joke, dude. I was just about to tell a story that the first time I heard that song was walking on City Walk into Howling Horror Nights, the very first Howling Horror Nights I went into. I swear to God. We oh, my God. My now brother-in-law, Mike Belletta, we his mom took us to Howling Horror nights and it was him him me our friend anthony then anthony had like two young wait, wait, wait. who's anthony who's anthony who's anthony who's, oh, anthony? Anthony? who's anthony anthony carreri <laughs> anthony carreri who is a uh a guy Tia, Tia Carrere? no no anthony's great he, but anyway no <laughs> anthony carreri he he was two years younger than us and then he had a friend who was one year younger than him and this, I can't remember this little kid's name now. He was with us, and he heard it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, Mambo Number Five. So like, <laughs> a what? little kid said this. I'm yeah, imagining swear, like a five-year-old. Swear to God, <laughs> swear to God, yeah. But anyway, so we heard that walking Ooh, into Mambo Universal Studios. Five. That was the first time I heard that song. Not no, no joke. Anyway, well, it's a horrible song, and that's it's what we play song. as I was going. Who is it? On an who is it? Uh, Lou Bamba. Lou Bega. Lou Bega. Bamba. <laughs> I think about Lou Mo ba- Bamba. Sorry. You're thinking about Luke Diamond Bega. Phillips, who played the La-, La Bamba guy. Yeah, I that's, that movie used like... to scare me because the song that plays at the end, it's like. It scared me because there was like an exploding plane in it. Yeah, and he dies. <laughs> I don't think they show the crash. They don't show the crash, though. It's not like flight. 
What if they just inserted like the scene from Die Hard 2 when the plane crashes for all oh, the DVDs? Okay, they should um, do that actually. It's like in a me, totally different time period. It's at like 747 instead of this tiny little plane. My anyway. song would be Rollin' by Limp Bizkit. I knew you were going to say Limp Bizkit. Oh, man. I uh, knew you were going to um, say Limp Bizkit. I mean, it's indicative. That's Urban not rolls. Wait, is it a Urban Assault? Yeah, yeah it's Urban Assault. I was going to say or either version you want. Aerade. It's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's like Alien that... versus Predator. Whoever wins, we lose. Isn't that the song that we wouldn't stop, we wouldn't shut the fucks, shut, up, shut, shut the, fuck the fuck up singing in the, in the, the, in the hotel up. room? When it's just like, yeah, yeah, no, you'll be loving this <laughs> right <laughs> now. Remember? Was no, that, it was, was actually. Was that during like South By? No, when we were saying non-point. It was during South By, but the song that we kept doing was non-point. Oh, what a day, what a day. No, there was that too, but there was, I swear to God, it was it was Flieger and... I think maybe you're right. I, I think Captain the four of us. I mean, yeah, we of course we were singing Limp Bizkit. <laughs> well, I know you'll be loving this. <laughs> right like, like I remember oh, Heather were getting God. so angry at us because it was just yeah. we wouldn't shut the fuck up about. What well, everyone was trying again. to sleep too, yeah. and I had to share a bed with Flieger, and it, we were just laughing. We just kept singing, and he, and, he, and Flieger's not a good. He's the, has problems falling asleep. Arguably the worst to... person you could ever share a hotel room with. That's, oh yeah, he, just, and, and, you know, and he was no shade, he, but, you know. The next day he was like, uh, he's like, I'm trying to fucking fall asleep, and you guys are singing like <laughs> new metal from the 2000s. Like, the... Uh, <laughs> anyway, I gotta tell you, if I was uh, going to hell and I was on the elevator, I bet Roland would be playing. Yeah, that's true. Good tweet. No, that was yeah, the answer. Tweet that. One. That was that was your answer. Um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, God, Mambo number five is pretty fucking good. Like that That's is right. that is the epitome of just moron songs. Like right, just right there. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not. Uh, I'm not better or smarter than Mambo number five. I am a victim of Mambo number five. Yeah. I know it. I know it by heart. It is etched into my brain, and I hate it. So, um, anyways, I think that's. I, I think I got to go with. Uh, it's a tie for me. Like one, so when I, I probably said this on the podcast, but I used to work at Einstein Bagels, just one of my first jobs. And so I used to work and um, like clean the floors and I would do the dishes. And so you didn't they, make the bagels. I did not make the bagels until later on. And, um, you know, even though I walked in, I was like, uh, I'm Rothman. Hello. Um, they'd be like, no, no, go in the back. And I was called, my name was Super. That's what they called me. S-O-U-P-E-R. What a disgusting title. But like Ew. I, so Every day I was in the back and they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let us change the the radio. So every day it was the same 30 songs on that block or whatever. And I swear to God, when I, it was my shift, it was always the, the, always the beginning of the shift was I'm like a bird, um, by Nelly Furtado. Nelly Furtado. And it still is me. It's 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 not a bad song. That's why I'm kind of like eh, I don't know, but like if I hear it, it it's just like it fills your nose. I'm in with hell. Bagel I'm in hell. Yeah, and, and it, it was I, not fun back there. There were some songs that would always play on the loop when I worked at AMC Celebration back in the '90s, and uh, like I like Shares Believe. It's fine, but yeah. man, that song used to play all the time back in like '97, '98. I must have heard it eight times a day, like three or four days a week. It was just a, it was not a tough fun. hang. It was a tough hang. Uh. Any other uh, thoughts on <laughs> any other Hell song? song? Yes, I, uh, Mike, I have a lot of other thoughts, but we should probably Okay, yeah. we should probably get going. We, we, we have a long night ahead of us. Uh, all right, so I'm the resident Germanophobe. I'm going to take this one. Uh, I'd like to have a toothbrush with a white handle that would slowly turn blue every time I used it. When the handle was all blue, I'd buy a new toothbrush. Now some smartass will tweet, ah, they made that 50 years ago. This guy um, has written some of the scariest things I've ever read. And then I, I read this fucking tweet. <laughs> I know. I, I, touching things over red. 
So how often do you guys replace your toothbrush? Hmm, good question. Honestly, the fact that the fact that we're not instantly say it means that we don't do it enough. Yeah, I I agree. That's true. Honestly, it's when it stops because you want some resistance with the toothbrush. You want it to be feel a little hard, like it's doing something. Mm -hmm. Well, this really sounds like an innuendo, but um, when it's when this you can tell it's not affecting your gums and teeth enough. I'm like, give me the new toothbrush. Okay, I I can't give you a time period though, which is again, like Randall said. Probably the wrong answer. Probably a bad sign. So the end of the rope for your toothbrush is when it looks like a cartoon's character's toothbrush. Yeah. But to be like, fair, I haven't had a cavity in, in years, knock on wood. So yeah, I guess same here, knock on wood. So. <laughs> how, many, how about you, uh, Caffrey? I feel like you cavity Caffrey over here. Or... No, nah, man, honestly, I didn't. Uh, so <laughs> when it was my last Lollapalooza before I left Chicago, so I guess that would have been 2017, I think. Um, right? Yeah, 2017. I went yeah. to the dentist um, and then went straight to the festival after that. And I was worried that no joke had not been in 10 years. Like it had been that long. Yeah. No, yeah. no cavities. No cavities at all. So I think wow. I'm in the clear. So we're three, dentist Corbin Burnson. <laughs> who's, who's Corbin Burnson? Oh, he's the star of the new Left Behind movie. The Rise he's of also, the He also oh, played Jesus. an evil dentist in a horror movie called The Dentist. And. Oh, I remember the that. Den- the Dentist too. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, I didn't know. That. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know there was the a sequel. Yeah, there you go. Randall, what yeah. about you? Cavities? Do you get a lot of cavities? No, I haven't had a cavity. So since we're I was a teenager. we're cavity free. Yeah. Cat. So I guess we're doing something right. That's we're, not bad. We're flossing and I mean, I have. I, I, I grind my teeth really bad, like horror, mm-hmm. like really bad. So I I have mm-hmm. to replace. I have a mouth guard I wear every night, and I have to replace oh. that uh, more often than most people because I just fuck that thing up with my teeth, mm. and I also clean it with a toothbrush. So there you go. Different well, one than I used to brush my teeth. Well, Randall, take the next tweet. I'm not even going to use the other questions that I have tied to this. We're yeah, ta- how, we're how much are we going to talk about? Uh, we don't need to do brushes. it. It's not not important. But anyway, okay. fun tweet from King. Let's do it. Uh, January 18th, he said, "Hey kids, it's your old buddy Steve King. I love that you use Steve. There, it's cool. Uh, telling you that if they ban a book in your school, haul your ass to the nearest bookstore or library ASAP and find out what they don't want you to read. I think that's a, a good tweet. Uh, he's been I agree." tweeting about this uh, issue uh, a couple times this month. One of the tweets we're not going to touch because it was very sensitive, and we're mm-hmm. just here to have fun. So uh, this one, though, I think I can wholeheartedly agree with and uh, say, yeah, uh, banned books are, are you know usually the best books. Although I feel like mo- a lot of banned books are like just things that you could get for like five cents at a used bookstore or something. So it's yeah. like... Like are, are Honestly, they still trying when, to ban like Huck Finn and stuff like that? Like I don't know. Yeah. Even when I was a kid, and I grew up in a pretty conservative town, I don't. I mean, they had like Stephen King books in my library. Same like I mean, as like a middle schooler, you could go and get. I, I remember reading the hardcore sex scene in Disclosure in my middle school Hell library. Yeah. Like, Jesus. I, I, I'm not saying banned books aren't a thing, but I don't know. Maybe this is really naive to say. Maybe this will get me in trouble. Do you think people maybe make? Kind of too no, big I, I do think deal this is a about thing. it. I do. I, do. Yeah. I think especially because you know, obviously, we, we were in Florida, and f- as far as I've been aware, um, we, we can speak because we lived there for years. Fuck it, even if we didn't live there, who cares? Things are getting pretty bad in Florida. With yeah, a lot of absolutely, it is. System, yeah, and a lot of it does have to do with some books that they're banging. I don't have examples now, but I've read some stuff in the last couple of years that has actually made me very passionate about this specific topic. So. But it's, yeah, I, I feel like banning issue. books is like, it, it, I think it would have had more of an impact like when we were young where it wasn't that easy exactly. to access yeah. like books. Yeah. Like now people can just go online. Like, I mean, I think banning a book is like one of the best things that can happen to mm-hmm. a book in terms of its sales. Like, cause now people oh, just I go agree. on Amazon and buy it. And then it becomes a political act to buy the 
the banned book. So it's like, it's just culture war bullshit. You know, it's just well, like, people... it, it, yeah, it just, it all, all, it ends up just fueling capitalism anyway. So you mentioned us being in Florida and this being an issue. I will say at firsthand, one of my scariest moments when I was in high school was, so I was doing, um, I used to be in forensics class and it's not crime lab stuff. It's acting and all. And, um, and so we did, we would have to do these like one man, not one man shows, but like basically like a 10 minute or 20 minute piece. And I was like really obsessed with American Psycho. Um, and I'd like, oh, cause I was, I just love Brady Snellis' work. And I, I'd been reading the book and I was like, all right, I want to do one on the book, actually not in the movie. And you can use a lot of the material from the book and everything. So I was reading the book again and I was at the most disgusting part of American Psycho. And if you know, Rat. if you've read it, yeah. Oof. Yeah. And I was in, I was in my, uh, my theology class because we had to do a theology class every day. And um, there's this British guy that ran it. Looked like, you know, um, just looked like he would be a guy that would be in like fucking faulty towers or something. And, um, and so he, he's teaching this class. It was John Cleese. And he, he's, uh, he's he's teaching this class and I'm reading this book and I'm like highlighting areas that I want to have for the piece. And, you know, without the context, it just looks like I'm highlighting the worst parts. And so he finally looks over at what I'm doing and he's like, are you reading American Psycho in my theology class? And so he grabs it. Oh my God. Wow. And where the, 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 the bookmark is. And the bookmark oh, is, in the, is in the grossest part in the fucking book, book you could possibly get. And he goes, I'm giving this to the headmaster. And oh now this is <laughs> fucking 2000. This is 2000, 2001. I wasn't at Hogwarts. It was a headmaster though. Cause it was a, it was a private Wait till school. Dumbledore sees this. He's like, oh my this god, this is straight filthy, isn't it? And <laughs> mate, so hey, mate. yeah, I didn't go to fucking Manchester. It was in goddamn <laughs> Fort Lauderdale for crazy. So anyway, oh my god. so he he takes this book and it my in my head, you know, this is only a year or two after Columbine. I'm just like, oh my god, like they're gonna like they're gonna they're gonna look through this book. They're gonna see that I've like underlined some of the worst fucking sections ever. I I haven't even declared that I'm doing this for forensics yet. Like this is what I want to do. And I was like, I have to get this book back from him. I, like, I, I'm going to be outed like as this like psychopath in this fucking school right now. Like, because every it's gonna get like the, the, they're gonna kick me out because this stuff. This stuff. I mean, you we've all read it. Like, it's the, some of yeah, the most it's, disgusting it's pros of all time. Ruddy yeah. so like, Who's this old culture? Who's this? No, he knew what it was, and that's where I knew that it was like a banned book type thing. And so He's probably jealous. Yeah. And so, yeah. Right. Um, so after the class, I like begged, I was like, look, I'll, I'll do like a detention for a week. Just like, give me the book back, please, please, please. And, um, he, f- he gave it back to me and I swear to God, I did not fucking open up that, that book again for the rest of the year in that classroom. Wow. I was like, I was, so yeah, it does. I mean, there are consequences to stuff psycho. in schools and stuff. So yeah, it was not fun. You should see but, well, we'll the see. psychos we have in jolly old England. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's in London town. Ain't too American, ain't they? Um, I will Ma- say, uh, Margaret Dan- Thatcher. Dan and I are both reading the new Brady Snellis book, and there is no joke. Stephen King references yep. littered. Cool. Oh, wow! It's like he's from should 1981. Hop on the podcast sometime. Um, That'd be great. I hope so. Anyways, cool. I just want to say, <laughs> I think reading is good, and so yeah, like, and don't let anyone tell you what you can or can't read. That's generally how I view. Uh, yeah. I think that's sort of my uh, a general approach to art. So, um, yeah, that's all oh, I got. Joey Ramon over here. Uh, Joey Ramon. Or LeVar Burton, possibly, <laughs> not, not too. Marky Ramon. Um, well, LeVar Burton. Well, speaking of the Ramones, uh, I'm hearing a drum <laughs> Didn't know sound. know where to go with that. <laughs> and that drum beat's going right to Justin, so take Ooh. it away. The next one. On January 18th, Stephen King tweeted, Ronnie by the Four Seasons, Teen Beat, Sandy Nelson, Bongo Rock, Preston Epps, 
And this was a retweet of a tweet by Glenn Kenny that said, Sound and vision. Greatest drum sound on a Bowie record or greatest drum sound on any record? So I guess King answered in the negative for the second question, and he gave his own opinion <laughs> and did not answer the Bowie question. But I, I have to say, and I'm a big fan of rock and roll, <laughs> I don't know these three songs. Or maybe I do, but I don't recognize the titles. Anybody else here? Who, we all wrote for music for decades. I know. We're all music writers. I, <laughs> um, the thing is, like, King is such no. a specific era of rock. That's that, true. And you could tell, like, when, you know, even when we were interviewing, like, when he was going to the records collection behind him, I can just tell he probably has, like, so many, like, classic rock records from, like, the 50s in there. And that's an era that I just, it's kind of a blind side for me. Or, you yeah. know, I don't know. It's, it's, a dead it's true. I admit it. I completely admit it. I'm sure some great stuff. I just never really got into it, you know. My parents, when they really came of age, it was the early, the mid-60s. So that was kind of my introduction to, to classic rock and roll. But you know what? I have a question. I, I do know Ronnie. I mean, The Four Seasons is great. So I, I, could, I couldn't possibly like, do the whole beat. But you know, I don't know if I, I, I put that as the greatest drum sound on any I, mean, I recognize the names of these bands and their other songs, but I don't recognize these specific songs. Is what I'm, so. mm, Although, okay. to be honest with you, I've never heard Preston Epps in my life. But maybe I've never heard Preston Epps. Um, so here's a question for you, Mike Rothman. Yeah. Does the production affect the drummer of a, of a record? Like if, if the, if the record's got bad production, does it affect your love of the drummer or the drum sound? <laughs> it's, it's really got to depend because it's like, I, I think the, the more conditioned the drummer sounds like I think of, um, like if you listen to, we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel, right? Like mm-hmm. his drummer's fucking phenomenal. But the drum sound in that, that, that particular track is like so candied and it kind of takes away the fierce and ferocity behind the drummer. It was a bad period for music production, the, the mid to late 80s. But sometimes it could be good though, because then you listen to a lot of like thick stuff. Like I'm, th- I'm talking like, um, what's the one that's uh, the. It's a fuel song, right? No, it's like, it's like, isn't it? You see, I was going to say Stevie Winwood. Stevie Winwood. Stevie Winwood. Yeah. Like his, his drum sound sucking sounds great. So like when you have that thick, sometimes this thick production works, but sometimes it really does make your drummer just sound like a machine and not in a good way. Not like a, not like a, yeah. I no, I agree with that. But what about you? What, I mean, would you think that it, uh, for, I mean, because I know that for us, we, you know, the replacements is, you know, the Bible. Like, that was going to be my next example, actually, because you like, think about some of those replacement records don't have, like, the best production. Yeah. Tim and does so, not. Well, the yeah, remastered so, one's pretty good. But. Oh, the remastered stuff sounds much better than the, the, the real tinny, thin sound um, of those earlier albums do. So I do think it, it can play a part, you know? I think that what I love about records that I think gets lost a lot, which is why I really prefer live music most of the time, um, is the fact that I need to feel that rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And when you, it, it sometimes it's flattened out if you're listening to like old CDs of, of music from the 80s or even 90s. So, I mean, so that's my, that's my take on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randall, you're a big music head. What about you? What <laughs> yeah, do you think about Yeah, I don't know, the, though. I'm never, like, I'm not... I don't know. Like, I don't think about drums too often. Yeah. I love it, but I, I'm like hard pressed to, like, if I said like drummers that I love, I'd be boring. I'd be like Dave Grohl. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think they're, oh, sorry, good, Randall. Ah, That's all. What I was going to say, I mean, I I do think it takes a very specific kind of drummer to be able to identify them just by their drum sound, the way you could with a guitarist or even Mm -hmm. a bassist Mm -hmm. in some cases. I I think Levon Helm from the band, I can always tell when Mm -hmm. it's his drums because it's got that he tightened his floor toms a specific way to where it just sounds like really deep and swampy. Um, so Levon Helm for me is one. No, I mean, it's 
it's funny he's not a famous drummer at all but uh cloud nothing's drummer jason oh, yeah. garrett he's i think great like, he's man. so good it, like no no joke his fills are so frequent and so fast like it always sounds like the snare drum's about to fall over i saw a video of them doing this song hey cool kid which is like from their very, oh, I very, love very that first song. album that's awesome yeah. song and it's before they were really famous or anything and they're just they're just doing it like outside in front of a record store in ohio so not any kind of high profile gig and all he has is just uh um a crash cymbal a snare and i think a kick drum he doesn't even have floor toms or anything and he is just doing so much with those those three components of the drum and and, and i think even just their current records just it always sounds like the drum kit is going to collapse and just blows my mind and then the other one i would say well where were you when uh we first saw wasted days live because that's that's from that band that that might be the most intense i've ever seen a drummer hit a fucking wait was that at the that one festival yeah yeah Um, i was there yeah yeah. i saw them at talia hall with a bunch of you i can't remember who was there i was there for that i think i've seen a a few times yeah man it was fantastic and then the other one drummer i was going to say um who I know at least a few of us are a fan of is uh, Glenn Koch from Wilco, who, oh, yeah. um, who one, yeah. I think his versatility just in terms of he, if he wants to play like the guy from Cloud Nothings, he can. But also on Ode to Joy, there's songs where he's just hitting a bass drum for like the whole song. Like I love that he kind of just serves whatever the song needs. So those are, uh, those are my, that's, that's, that's uh, Dan Caffrey's Rock and Roll Drum Hall of Fame. Your go to right favors. Well, my, Mike, okay. I know who your favorite drummer is. You want me to, can I, can I Just, make a prediction? I know. Make, I know go go it for it. Yeah. And it's, it's a good answer. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe no, I'm no, wrong. go for it. Go. Stuart Copeland. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it would be Phil Collins. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. I, it's, Copeland's amazing. In fact, my, one of my big disappointments when, um, back when I was editor at uh, Consequence was just when we did the poll. And like Copeland only lasted until like I think like the it was like the fifth or sixth rung, and I was like, what? Like I, I thought he was wow. going to be like neck to neck with like Neil Pert, but then Neil Pert just ran away with it all. But well, yeah, I don't know. Neil I Pert's just also incredible drummer. But I think the thing is, it's like the songs, right? Yes, I mean, like, exactly. Yeah. No offense. I, mean, I think Rush, incredibly talented musicians, but I think like the songs, I would take the police all every single oh, day of the week. Can, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, just go still... go Google <laughs> wrapped around your finger the um, live. Uh, yeah. Even in 2007, yeah, when they the, were like, the, the it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, it's I, incredible. I still remember our friend Colin Brennan, who also wrote for Consequence, was interviewing the band Bully. And Bully's, I, I don't think the drummer's with him anymore, but their first drummer's name was also Stuart Copeland. That's right. Oh, weird. And I, remember, I remember I was with him when he was interviewing them at Lollapalooza and it, he he was like oh you know Stuart Copeland like the police and, and the drummer was like pissed he's like yeah you're the first person to make that joke and Colin felt Colin's like oh yeah I shouldn't have done that but uh, oh, to be no, fair though he's gonna get that for the rest of his life his yeah, name changing Stuart Copeland exactly. yeah come on um well Ooh, what's the best real quick rapid fire so you're not really that you're not listening for drums right Randall so it's, it's hard for you to say like what's your favorite like drum song or drum moment, right? You're, you're more well, about the lyrics this. or like the I, guitars. What comes to mind, and this isn't no. like a big classic drummer, but when I saw the electronic artist Dan Deacon live um, mm-hmm. after he released the album Bromst, which I believe came out in 2008, 2009, yeah. I saw him at the Metro and he had like a kind of a little mini orchestra with him. So his music was electronic, but he was it was used, he incorporated a lot of live instrumentation. And the song Get Older, which is the last song on that album, has a really, really intense drum beat. And there was like four drummers on stage and they were all completely in sync with this really intense drum beat. And I remember being completely me- mesmerized by that. So that's my answer that I have. That's a great track. That's a great track. Randall, what uh, about you? What's your, I mean, not Randall, but Dan, <laughs> you said, you pretty much said like what, Via Chicago? Live with Glenn Koch is, is pretty incredible. Uh, 
Yeah, I would, yeah. Honestly, press to name one song, not on the album so much, but uh, you know, get the kicking television version of Via Ooh, Chicago because yeah. that's go. live. Yeah, well, because also that was Ken Coomer on the original one, right? Not yeah. Glenn Koch. So yeah, th- yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would say that's my favorite drum moment is Glenn Koch doing Via Chicago with Wilco live. Mike, what about you? I've been thinking about this question for hours. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you're gonna because um, you know you're gonna forget like what your favorite one really is. You know. Okay, so I know we just said I was just saying oh Copeland Police over Neil Peart and Rush. I will say though, like the drum track for Spirit of Radio is yeah, it's insane. Is mm. fucking unbelievable. Like it's just it's a it's a roller coaster. It literally is a roller coaster. Um, other I know than this that, is. I mean. What about like in the air tonight? Like I know it's like so cliche, but like but that's see, a great song. It's a great yeah. fill, but like when I'm yeah, thinking the rest of, of it's kind of yeah. It's like the way I look at it was like when you think of drum track, like that's all you think about with the song. And so like with Spirit of Radio, obviously the guitars are big and the the vocals are huge, but like that that drum track is just it takes you to places that I don't think the the song would be able to pivot if it wasn't for where those fills go. Um, but I don't know. But like then you think about Copeland, and it's like. Even something minimal that's not, that's kind of just embedded in the song. Like, go listen to like, um, Can't Stay in Losing You. Like, like the fucking yeah. drum track in that is, is just kinetic. Like, it's so catchy. It's like, it's like popping bubblegum. But, um, I don't know. What did you land on any of them, Justin? I, I just kept thinking about, you know, I know Randall said it's true, but like, like you think about like Dave Grohl, right? It's like one of the greatest drummers. But I go back to the classic rock era, some like Keith Moon and, mm-hmm. you know, Bonham and all those guys. So I'll just go totally left field. And I think that Charlie Hall from War on Drugs is like one of the best Uh, drummers. Mm -hmm. And and what I think I love about him, though, is just like these guys who just keep time so well. Like they'll just maintain that same beat for like 10 minutes. And that's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You can't take a break and like do a fill. And I I just admire that so much. But I will say everybody out there, I got obsessed with this a couple months ago. If you go on YouTube and, and type in, it's pretty long, so I hope you pause this. Phil Collins, Take Me Home, Chester Thompson drum cam. Oh, yeah. This is it's awesome. Unbelie- it's the drummer for Phil Collins for Take Me Home, and you don't realize how complicated that drum beat is, and it also speaks to how much I love having to keep that consistency and not fuck up the ri- It's Watch it. It's incredible. That's, that's my, uh, my plug for Chester uh, did- Thompson on, on YouTube. Well, I've got one more, one more uh, goat drum uh, composition. Uh, animal drum battling with Buddy Rich on the uh, Muppet Show. It's excellent. Classic. Oh, now would that go, because apparently that was influenced by Nick Mason playing One of These Days at Live from Pompeii. So that's another great drum uh, wait, drumming. Wait, was it there. really? Yeah, apparently so. If you watch wait, that, really? I'll send it to you later. Oh, okay. yeah, I'll admit, that's that awesome. Influence on the character of Animal. Well, oh, I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I just got something here. <laughs> and it says, the award goes to Best picture, Caffrey. Take the next tweet. <laughs> Just Every doing as many Caffrey. <laughs> Every year, as soon as the Academy Award nominees are announced, the pissing and moaning starts. This year happens to be an exceptionally good one, I think. A nice spread of films and an excellent roster of actors and crew. Um, man, I feel like we could have a whole episode about this. Uh, yeah, Justin, we got to be we got to be short on this one. I apologize. Don't worry, yeah. I promise I'll be short. Justin, you've been really vocal about award shows lately, and all I love that. Lately. I love that sentence, Justin. You've been really vocal about award shows. Yeah, he has, <laughs> though. It's, it's true. It's true. Uh, um, yeah. Do you agree with King here? <laughs> I or what? I mean, I agree. I agree with that first sentence, one hundred percent. 
As for the second sentence, I've seen all the Best Picture nominees, but I think we've all been kind of saying it's been a tough decade overall. Uh, we've just gotten so far I, away I from anything. That, and this really, yeah. I, I know this has been really going on for decades now, but when people make these movies, they're not like, I'm going to make a movie that's just going to be as good as that fucking movie. And if you don't like it, then fuck you. Like, the way that, that <laughs> social media takes it upon themselves to, like, start up a cause for these movies that millionaires are making. Like, I, I don't understand why we're wasting our time as opposed to just enjoying a movie. Who cares if some innocuous, anonymous group gives it a trophy? I just, exactly. and I, I used to love the Academy Awards. I would watch it every year growing up. But that, the discussion is always not what won, but what didn't win. Yep. And it's just like, who gives a shit? Just show the, here are the top 10 movies of the year. There'll be enough discourse about that. And that's it. We're done. Like the AFI used to do. Here's the top 10 movies of the year. Moving on. Next year. Bye. Thanks a lot. Good job. But now it's all about how can this person win or how yeah. can this movie win and how dare you? And there's something it's like, and what does know. it say about you? And how yeah, you, I was going to say know. like, maybe it's oh. always been this way and we just, I just didn't know. I don't think so, but it's like, I, the it's problem exacerbated is like, now. we can't have like fun arguments about yeah. movies mm-hmm. like with people anymore because like, I think like Stan culture too, like fandom culture oh, is yeah. kind of people have interwoven their kind of identities with a lot of art. So it, they take it as a personal attack. If like, you don't like something. And, um, so I think it's like it's it's not as fun as it used to be as I think I agree. at least how I feel because uh, you know bitching and moaning about awards was kind of fun it used to be at least because it totally. would be fun spirited arguments but now it just feels like so much like there's like I think just too so much it gets wrapped up in it like because you know the walls between politics and culture have sort of like collapsed over the last however many years and, and it becomes harder I think to just like have fun arguments with people uh, which is my favorite one of my favorite things to do uh, that said Tar is one of the best fucking movies uh, I've seen oh, in yeah. a very long oh, time it's the best movie it I've should seen win also. everything uh, yeah. I I imagine it it will win screenplay and that's it but. Yep. Maybe, maybe Blanchett, although I can see Michelle Yeoh winning. And hey, Michelle that's cool Yeoh's too. Yeah, which is cool. I uh, love her. And so, you know, it's like, that's basically how I'm... Well, I mean, I liked a handful of the movies that are nominated. Tar, Banshees. Banshees. Uh, yeah. Top Gun. And then... Uh, I was fine with Top Gun. Like, I, I, I don't Top know Gun if it Maverick needed awards. Top Gun Maverick needs to be best picture. I, I'm, I'm uh, all for it, but... Um, you know, I mean, I think like... Uh, you know, I was bummed that Babylon didn't get any love. I was too, fucking yeah. Rules. But I also didn't expect it because yeah, it that, that didn't make some, money. I, 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 I did expect sponsors. at least a couple more, but like, I don't know. The, the whole, the fact that like Damien Chazelle wasn't even nominated for Best Director, it just, just shows just how ridiculous this whole thing is. Like you watch the movie and you can't, I can't, you can't tell me that some of the movies that we've, that are listed here are, are above or beyond like what he was doing on that movie the whole thing is bullshit so the the thing that i would say is that (laughs) what you're saying about like this used to be a fun thing the way i look at it is that the oscars used to be like the christmas office party right where it used to be like oh it's the end of the year let's have fun let's get drunk let's have fun let's just argue blah blah blah. but now it's become the sermon that you go to or the church day that you go to after like the day the day of christmas where you're fucking tired you don't want to be there you just want to be at home (laughs) and you kind of just want to relax because you're done with the year and that's kind of how i look at the oscars now especially when i was in the media when we by the time we get to the oscars we'd already done our year-end lists so now we're two months after that or three months in some cases and we're still talking about these movies and the points and especially nowadays 
nowadays where the where the the opinion has already been established five minutes after the fucking movie premiered at fucking Sundance so that you've now had two years almost of just the same takes all boiled down over and over again to the point where they've it's gone through at this point this is amazing to is it really amazing to actually it's pretty good to oh well no maybe we were wrong to actually it's getting buzz again to it's the best picture to now we hate it and that's usually the whole arc for it. And it was every year. And to the point that you're saying where movies getting pitted against each other, what bothered me so much is that starting in 2016, and this happened to everything. It wasn't just, it wasn't just for fucking uh, movies. But if you recall on that, that wonderful, <laughs> uh, actually right when we started this podcast, it was January of 2017. Um, there were a lot of things that were going on culturally that we all like seemed to put into columns as conservative or liberal. And that's what oh, happened yeah. with the Oscars. It was like, if you like La La Land, then you're a fucking conservative and you don't like Moonlight. <laughs> and it was- and, that's what and, I was and, saying about like that's what happened. culture, like yeah. the walls collapse. And- but the arguments still become they're not fun anymore like we're not talking about art anymore it becomes about identity and it becomes about all these other things and and i think you know there's a place for that i think obviously when you're discussing film but you know i think sometimes like those it's it's hard not to touch on those topics and at least in the culture that has been cultivated over the last several years which you know i mean i'm not i'm not trying to be a hater It, it is what it is but it's like that's why you know it's fun when we get together and we kind of can piss and moan in our own fun way and uh, and banter over what we liked and what we didn't, you know, it's it's harder to have those conversations publicly now, which is kind of a bummer. But not, not to what do you think, up, Dan? Well, I was saying that's bring him up again, but Bryce and Ellis on uh, I forget it was one of the episodes you forwarded me, Mike. I think it was yeah. the Simon Rex episode. He gave a big monologue about the Oscars. Oh yeah, that's a great. Well, that was a movie that got totally fucking ignored. Uh, Red, I mean, did Red Rocket get anything last no. year? No, crazy. Nothing. That was my favorite movie. Last year. Pig, same thing. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, um, Pig was my favorite movie. And and so, but Bryce and Ellis was, was kind of speaking to what you were, Mike, about the idea that Oscars actually just used to be for people who really liked movies right yeah <laughs> and like really like the oscars and so you could have these very specific takes and debate about them and they've now for whatever reason become i feel like the people who create them they feel like it's their responsibility to make them about everything and commenting on the current political moment and this mm. and that and it's just like no it's like a dumb award show yeah. for um people concerned with aesthetics or at least that's what it used to be right and so i think yeah. that's why they feel maybe yeah not as fun well, william anymore, freaking but, uh, freaking had this when he produced the uh, the oscars in the 70s oh, he produced them yeah well awesome. he had he, they were t- called upon to do it and, and he talks about it on the brady snow show he talks about how he thinks the whole thing is bullshit because it's like, it's exactly what you, you, we, we've all been discussing is that, oh, why are we pitting these movies against each other? Like, it makes absolutely no sense. And who's to say what's best and who's worse? Like, you know, he, he was saying like, remove best and just say the, uh, yes. you know, the movie of the year or something like that. Or like, you know, the, it just, yeah. Anyway, what, um, uh, what I think there's, a, there's movie. a common ground where you can say, here are the 10 movies and you can, you can include movies that were critically acclaimed, movies that were extremely popular and well-received that broke through the zeitgeist. Here they are. Weren't they great? Let's, <laughs> now we're on to 2023. And then it's up to the critics and the lovers of film to promote the movies yeah. that they love. Yeah. As opposed to saying, how dare X wins instead of Y? Yeah, yeah. that's so annoying. Like, that's extraordinarily annoying to me. Just tell yeah. me about the movie that you love. I don't need to hear about why X is better than Y is better than... D- like just enough. Yeah, I agree. What I... By the way, this rant, um, it was I was paying homage to um, the great Peter Finch in Network. Uh, oh wow! Who said, <laughs> "Well, I hope your fate isn't who, similar." 
I think you're. Yeah, I hope I win in the war before I die. Well, Top Gun Maverick doesn't win. I'm gonna blow my head off or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This will be year six of me watching the On Cinema Oscar special. Oh yeah, I'll be hosting. So, Uh, what? uh, Real quick, just roundtable. You don't even have to explain why. What King movie would you give Best Picture to? It's okay if it's won Oscars before. Uh, Justin. Oh God, damn it. I mean, I've got my holy trifecta, so, but if I had to really choose, I would say, I would say the year it came out, I would say The Shining. Mm. Mike, what about you? I think Carrie should have won. Mm. I think Carrie always should have won Best Picture, yeah. Randall? Um, Here we go. Here we go. What's the what? answer? I think you get some. <laughs> the Night Flyer. No, no. <laughs> night gonna flyer. Say, no, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone. Should I? <laughs> no. It's like hey, Tar. Not a bad Mr. movie. Mr. Harrigan's not... phone. Yeah, love no, it. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think Stand By Me, maybe. I love Ooh, Stand yeah. By Me. I was going to say Stand By Me. Some great movies by Stephen well, King, hey, right? Well, hey, Stand By Me got two votes. I guess it wins. Uh, <laughs> it does. It does win the loser's best picture. Um... Well, here's Ran- why I think The Shining's better than Stand By Me. Uh, well, uh, actually, you know, I think King would agree with you. He should, probably would have thought The Shining should have won in 1981 also. Um, I'm sure you'd be thrilled. Yeah, it would have been totally stoked. Randall, mm-hmm. I know you're, you're always looking to stay hip and connected, so why don't you take yeah, the next one? stay hip and connected. Um, you know, Stephen we always want to be hip. <laughs> On January 25th, he tweeted, I like to annoy my children and grandchildren by saying totes adorbs and amazeballs. It gets them every time. He added with uh, he added another tweet that said, "I also like to annoy them with, dude, that's banging." Which, hey, I support this. I mean, that's classic. He's he's grandpa pilled. He's he, that's like classic grandpa behavior. That's it, it is the the it should be the express purpose of anyone who is over the age of seventy to just be as annoying as possible to the children because that is the only joy that you can get at that point in life anymore is just to be. Oh wow, jeez, uh, Jesus. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I I think it's uh I think embarrassing uh the kids by being quote unquote cringe is a lot of fun. I do that mm-hmm. with my uh, niece uh, whenever we see her. Jen and I ask like I, uh, yeah, my wife I, and I will I be like, that. "Are we millennial cringe?" Like you know, please tell us when something we do is cringe uh, because it's funny to us. You know, so I think um, I fully embrace these tweets. I think these are great tweets. Good job, Uncle Steve. I do the same, but not with uh, catchphrases. Like, um, I like to do like dabs, and Sammy just just loses oh, her wait, mind. Like, like the, uh, like the Migos dance move. I'll like do like the, the like this. Oh, that's and oh, and no. she just she's like stop, like don't do that. And then I'll I'll do it just randomly, like when we're talking. Like if we have like a serious conversation, I'll do it randomly, and she just lo- she loses it. Like she's just like, why do you do this? And I'm like, because of this reaction, this exact reaction. Like you know. If you just stare at me, I will never do it again, and it never happens. But so, Mike, yeah, you you actually do say totes adorbs. I used to text totes and also adorbs a lot. Um, Ironically or sincerely? No, sincerely. Wow. Like, well, kind of. I know it's weird. It's like you yeah, do see, something now ironically. You, yeah. Well, yeah, you do something ironically long enough, it becomes just part of your vernacular. Oh, and, I'm about to answer that very same way in a well, second. Well, go go for uh, go well, for it. Well, answer that question, Justin. Let's go. Yeah, I know. I'm the same way. Let's fucking I go. I do it all the time. I, and I know it's like almost bro culture, but I do that all the time. Well, I and speaking time, of bro though. culture, I used to say bro ironically all the time, and now I just say it. Like, do, I love yeah. it. I say bro. Well, I, I say, say bro. Love. Yeah. 
we love Fast and Furious so much. I think that's why we're we feel yeah. I mean, I think Fast and Furious, like that's you know, Mike and Dan are missing out. I think those movies (laughs) have been really good for culture in terms of just you know teaching dudes. (laughs) It's okay to be dudes. It's okay. Okay, by the way, breaking news: Mac, another original loser here, has has chimed in. Mac Gerber. With who he had a big crush on in the Stephen King universe? Is it is it the guy? Uh, is it the guy in the Stan May series who says he wants to eat chicken in the dark? I feel like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're close. It's it's Max Wright. No, I'm kidding. It's um, no <laughs> joke. It is from the Stan though. It is uh, Kelly Overby who plays Dana. I, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah, she's very. very, very Jen has not got back to me, but we're going to go ahead and just guarantee it's it's. Oh, it's one of the Scars guards. It's yeah. okay. Probably the whole fucking their whole brood. Just um, yeah. Mike, Stand what's the or Dan? What's the cringiest thing you say? Man, I, I've never, I've for real never said ironically or comically any of the phrases King is talking <laughs> about. I don't for real. I, I, now I'm still doing this kind of like ironically and being an asshole. I know we always make fun of the uh, over enthusiastic Tiger Beat headlines, as Justin called oh, it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So tiger I feel beat. like I. I'm always I'm always doing like the the um just the new Mr. Mercedes book is coming out and we are not okay. Like I feel like I always do that shit. Just like write about it. But then then I'll Bow feel before bad. our queen, you know that type Then of I'll thing. feel bad cuz someone who is like someone who I'll find to be a very nice person will like use that seriously. Then I feel like I'm being a jerk like oh, I'm like who well, who I know? Teaching who, what them I it's not the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah. That's we're yeah, so I feel like I do now. that a lot. Yeah, like, we're all weird. Fun. Yeah. Um yeah, that's Holly yeah, Gibney's like, back. Bow to the queen. Yeah, queen. Bow to the, yes, bow to the queen. poopy queen. And we are yes, not yes, ready. Queen. We are yeah. not ready. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most of. I mean, honestly, anything that would be considered like cool for a headline today is is enough to make me want to like take a cold shower and scream into a fucking pillow. But mm. um, the drink, drink water thing. You will like not telling people to drink water. I don't wearing. like that. Actually. But, Oh, telling people to drink water. Actually, Holly Gibney <laughs> no, was never no, cool. Actually, no, no, what I hate, no, it is for real. And I say this as a person who I, I think I'm a fairly positive, optimistic person. You are. I sort of. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, sort of hate the, what I call, talking about the fast fam. I hate the uh, condescending positivity, like oh, uh, like oh, the, yeah. the, the drink water and. Oh, I agree telling, with that. But oh, telling people water. it's going to be all. It's Dominic all, it's Toretto's a, not telling you to drink water. He's telling you to crack <laughs> open a cerveza. Yeah. yeah, but most He's people are blessings. He means it. He blessings. That, God, that, per, that perverse type of positivity is usually coming from like sociopaths. So like they just <laughs> yeah, they no, have no true. connection to the world. Coming from. Like, it's coming from people who have a hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Of course, they're blessings. I'd well, be the same way. I'd be oh like, no, I've met some positivity. some toxic positive uh, folks before, and you just like see behind their eyes, yeah. they are just like cutting my head off, and I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. And it's kind well, of done. Cool. In the fast it's also done in a way to where if you disagree with them or not even disagree or if you just point out some of the realism of the world that hey that might be offensive saying that to some people because they're dealing with truly awful shit and that's not gonna make you feel better they they do it and and honestly this is how i feel sometimes about these vin diesel videos or these dj Khaled videos these kind of mega personality videos where all they talk about is blessings how lucky they are you get the idea that if you were to criticize that at all they would call you a hater and like you're just negative in this or that and you're like no dude like that oh yeah man so well listen i'll have to come to fruition you're a fucking hater i mean (laughs) it's like if you say uh if you like it's like if you say i don't know ted lasso is is fine it's not my favorite show then like 10 ted lasso fans will be in your replies telling you to kill yourself (laughs) (laughs) or if you're like you know everything will be all right or whatever the everything 
everywhere all at once. Uh, I wasn't too good on it. And, you know, and then they, they'll just like, you know, ask for your, your head and kill you. Yeah. And, they'll and ask so. for your social security. What, what yeah. a, it'll be like, fuck you. How can you not be positive? I'm going to shit down your neck. I know. But the fucking funny. But your example, so Randall, is so perfect because it's just like you're literally giving it like an okay review. You're like, oh, it's fine, but it's not yeah. like, per, it's not, eff- <laughs> you know, you're not like, but it hasn't changed brimming with like, yeah, hyperbole. It's so funny. Um, okay. Well, look, speaking of annoying phrases, how about you brochachos, uh, to borrow from my least favorite Stranger Things character, uh, join Argyle? me. Oh, Argyle, oh, Argyle sucks. sucks. Yeah, we he sucks. Argyle on this well, we love Argyle. Well, we love, we don't love Argyle, but we love where Argyle is <laughs> from, which is out west in a place that I like to call California, in a place that I call, oh, God, Hollywood King. There's a town on the coast of Del Sol, always find my way there. There's a place that they call Tomaso, always find my way there. People there are forever young, forever young. And they toast to each other's love each and every night. Well, here in Hollywood King, if you haven't been following us for the last seven years, we go over the latest headlines involving, you guessed it, Stephen King. Um, as we discussed at the top of the episode, we've got the Boogeyman trailer, but there have also been a number of stories popping off over the last month. So let's dive in. We're going to go into, uh, well, Holly. Because first up, we've been talking about this book for years now. Mm. I don't know if you can believe that. It's probably been about two years that we've been talking about this book, or at least a year and a half. But we finally have a date. We finally have a book cover, and we even have an excerpt. So we know that it's due out. September 5th on Scribner and the cover, which was, I think dropped a week from today. That, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's got yeah, the sunset, the it's yeah. in a house. Um, Justin, do you want to read the synopsis that, uh, that dropped for this? I shall. All right. When Penny Dahl calls the Finders Keepers detective agency for help locating her missing daughter, Holly's reluctant to accept the case. Her partner, Pete has COVID. Her, parentheses, very complicated, in parentheses, mother has just died, and Holly is meant to be on leave. But something in Penny Dahl's desperate voice makes it impossible for Holly to turn her down. Mere blocks from where Bonnie Dahl disappeared live professors Rodney and Emily Harris. They are the picture of bourgeois respectability, married octogenarians, devoted to each other, and semi-retired lifelong academics. They are harboring an unholy secret in the basement of their well-kept, book-lined home one that may be related to Bonnie's disappearance. And it will prove nearly impossible to discover what they are up to. They are savvy, they are patient, and they are ruthless. Holly must summon all her formidable talents to outthink and outmaneuver the shockingly twisted professors. And then, I think like maybe like a few days after that, Randall, you, Entertainment Weekly, your work, published an excerpt. Do we want to read the whole thing now? I mean, I, f- I feel like we've gone long tonight, but I don't... Earlier we were debating, we said yes, but what do you think? Uh, I think I can read it really quick. All right, go for it. I'll say too, I, I like this premise because if there's, there's nothing, there's no greater sicko in the world than somebody who is in academia. So I think uh, the idea of having some shockingly twisted professors, it's very, uh, very, uh, very apt. And also we know how King feels about academics. Oh yeah, sense. absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to read this excerpt. It's an old city, and no longer in very good shape, nor is the lake beside which it, 
has been built, but there are parts of it that are still pretty nice. Longtime residents would probably agree that the nicest section is Sugar Heights, and the nicest street running through it is Ridge Road, which makes a gentle downhill curve from Bell College of Arts and Sciences to Deerfield Park, two miles below. On its way, Ridge Road passes many fine houses, some of which belong to college faculty and some to the city's more successful business people, doctors, lawyers, bankers, and top-of-the-pyramid business executives. Most of these homes are Victorians with impeccable paint jobs, bow windows, and lots of gingerbread trim. The park where Ridge Road terminates isn't as big as the one that sits splat in the middle of Manhattan, but close. Deerfield is the city's pride, and a platoon of gardeners keep it looking fabulous. Oh, there's the unkempt west side near Red Bank Avenue, known as the Thickets, where those seeking or selling drugs can sometimes be found after dark, and where there's the occasional mugging. But the Thickets is only three acres of 740. The rest are grassy, flowery, and threaded with paths where lovers stroll and benches where old men read newspapers, more and more often on electronic devices these days. And women chat, sometimes while rocking their babies back and forth in expensive prams. There are two ponds, and sometimes you'll see men or boys sailing remote-controlled boats on one of them, and the other swans and ducks glide back and forth. There's a playground for the kiddies, too. Everything, in fact, except a public pool. Every now and then, the city council discusses the idea, but it keeps getting tabled. The expense, you know. This night in October is warm for the time of year, but a fine drizzle has kept all but a single dedicated runner inside. That would be Jorge Castro, who has a gig teaching creative writing in Latin American lit at the college. Despite his specialty, he's American-born and bred. Jorge likes to tell people he's as American as Pie de Mazana. He turned 40 in July and can no longer kid himself that he is the, still the young lion who had momentary bestseller success with his first novel. 40 is when you have to stop kidding yourself that you're still a young anything. If you don't, if you subscribe to such self-actualizing bullshit as 40 is the new 25, you're going to find yourself starting to slide. Just a little at first, but then a little more. And all at once, you're 50 with a belly poking out of your belt buckle and cholesterol busters in the medicine cabinet. At 20, the body forgives. At 40, forgiveness is provisional at best. Jorge Castro doesn't want to turn 50 and discover he's become just another American man slob. You have to start taking care of yourself when you're 40. You have to maintain the machinery because there's no trade-in option. So Jorge drinks orange juice in the morning, potassium, followed most days by oatmeal, antioxidants, and keeps red meat to once a week. When he wants a snack, he's apt to open a can of sardines. They're rich in omega-3s, also tasty. He does simple exercises in the morning and runs in the evening, not overdoing it, but aerating those 40-year-old lungs and giving his 40-year-old heart a chance to strut its stuff. Resting heart rate, 63. Jorge wants to look and feel 40 when he gets to 50, but fate is a joker. Jorge Castro isn't even going to see 41. Ah, that's I gotta say, King I, good stinger. I um, know, I know King is, King is big into his Fitbit. You want to know why? Because mm-hmm. he's always fucking talking about resting heart rate. And that's how you oh, know that shit is on the, your Fitbit. Because uh, I have one and I also like to measure my resting heart rate. But the only time I've ever heard the phrase resting heart rate is from people who have Fitbits. So King, I see you and I see your Fitbit. I also see... We're reading Cell right now, and I feel like there's a pretty pointed reference to sardines in that as well. I believe it's with pizza, possibly. There's a, an anecdote that he, Clay brings up. 
I feel like King probably has a complicated relationship with uh, anchovies, maybe, but uh, maybe like mm. a little bit like the Ninja Turtles are our friends from the Big Apple with uh, Dan over there. Um, thoughts so far uh, with just the synopsis, what we're seeing on the book cover, what we what Randall just read. Um, are you intrigued, Caffrey? Uh, oh, you go, Dan. Yeah, I am intrigued. I mean, I've not been shy in the past about my feelings toward Holly and the Hodges trilogy in general. Um, so I wouldn't say it's the King property that I'm so stoked for, but I really like this excerpt a lot. I feel like that mm-hmm. stinger at the end actually genuinely got to me and makes me want to know more. Um, I'm also curious to see, I will say this. I've liked Holly the more she's evolved throughout the books. Like I, I feel like she yeah. was kind of insufferable when we first met her and I've liked her with each subsequent appearance. So, and, and look, I was really pumped for fairy tale and was a little let down by that. So I actually feel like I'm maybe more likely to enjoy this book, if that makes sense, because I'm a little skeptical and not expecting too much, but maybe it could come up and surprise me. And uh, hey, things are looking good from that first excerpt. So yeah, I'm excited for it. Justo. I think we talked about this a little bit in fairy tale, but I think at this point, this is what King really wants to do. You know, and I'm not saying that this is the best thing in the world for us. Maybe we don't want him to do this, but Honestly, I would rather him do what he truly wants to do as opposed to maybe feeling pressured into delivering something fantastical or horrifying, you know. And much like Dan, I, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed the Holly stories as, as they've gone on. I, too, did not like Mr. Mercedes. Admittedly, though, I liked Finders Keepers because the, um, the way that that book broke down was very different from Mr. Mercedes. I don't think that the detective agency shows up for with a hundred pages, maybe I misremembered. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is called Holly. That's not going to happen this time around. So, um, you know, cautiously optimistic, honestly, but I enjoyed what sounds like the opening chapter of the book, but honestly, it all hinges on Holly. Yeah. The titular Holly, you know, so we'll see. Well, Ra- we'll Randall, see. you were with me in Monroeville, uh, yeah. talking about Holly when we were going in a covering, if it bleeds, I believe during the pandemic, that to me felt like when I started kind of coming around to Holly was mm-hmm. that I feel like you were the same way, right? Yeah, kind of like- I, I liked if it bleeds as a story, um, and because and it was that relationship with her mom that I remember. I I was like, okay, I feel like I'm actually starting to access this character in in some ways that aren't just her quirks. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for this book because it sounds like it could be a little trashy, like, mm-hmm. which I, I embrace that. I love that. I mean, like octogenarian, uh, academic sickos, like that sounds great. Cause like, like knowing how he feels about academia and, um, that world, he probably, it sounds to me like he'll have a lot of fun. Just like, I feel like there could be satirical elements like him sort of poking fun at, uh, at, you know, the self-seriousness of academics and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, making them sicko sounds fun. Uh, 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 we got unholy secret in the basement, yeah. uh, shockingly twisted. It sounds like it could be kind of nasty. And so I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I love the hook about the academia though. I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah go for it, Justin. Um, so with this, there there will be five novels, if not lead, led by Holly, strongly featuring Holly, plus a novella. Do you think before King writes his last word, there will be more novels slash novellas slash short stories than there are books with Roland Deschain? That's what I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's he's getting close. We're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. Although, because Roland's what. It, 10 because you got, got seven books, books wind 
Eight. He's got eight books and a short story. Sisters. Yeah. So <laughs> she's getting there. She's only a few bucks away. Yeah. That's weird. That is Child Holly to the Dark Tower came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Child Roland, you could you learn all about that poem if you go to uh, com slash yeah. the Barons, the Dark Tower Detour. Um, what gives you pause, though? For me, it's the COVID stuff. I just think that's going to be a little, I think you can kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, get, want, I, I don't want to read books about COVID. I mean, yeah. maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I've yet to see a single piece of fiction that directly references covid that i've enjoyed so yeah. it's i think it's i i feel like let's give it 20 years and then we can maybe make some art about it uh but right now i think you can capture the essence of pandemic world mm-hmm. which i think a lot of art has in ways that are a lot more compelling than actually engaging with covid on sort of that i think very literal level um so i don't know i just and you know i mean i've made my feelings pretty clear i think in our billy summers and and um gwendy's episodes just about how i feel when king gets a little self-righteous about politics in his latter day books it's it's not my favorite side of king so i want him to lean into uh sicko twisted professors uh and uh evil unholy basements that's that's where that's where the sweet spot is agreed any other thoughts on holly no I can't right. wait. I can't, honestly, though, like, like I've been saying for decades, can't wait to read it. I know. Well, I mean, look. Hey man, it's New King. It's, it's New King. King. I'm always can't excited. wait to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah. I enjoyed at least half of Fairy Tale. Um, all right. So let's move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Children of the Corn. So finally, after years of radio silence, we got official word that Kurt Wimmer's <laughs> Children of the Corn, his reimagining, it's coming out. Um, now, if you recall, this is the 11th installment of the Children of the Corn series. So definitely a one-up on Roland and Holly in terms of the numbers of Kings, <laughs> really, um, if you can believe that. And it was filmed way, way back right at the beginning of COVID. So it was around the spring of 2020. And it's just been sitting there. And we've kicked it around. I believe, Randall, you always bring this up. This is the movie that you always say, oh, there's a Children of the Corn coming out. And then yeah, I always, you guys always And it finally it. is. So it's, it's count out. It's getting an 18-day theatrical window starting on March 3rd, 2023, obviously. I think it's uh, only so it can be nominated for an Oscar next that year. That will be, yeah. It's going to be nominated <laughs> for Best Picture. Um, and uh, right next to Scorsese's The Flowers of the, the Flower Moon. Of the Flower of the Flower Moon. The corn. And Let's then it's going to be released on Shudder on March 21st, 2023. Caffrey, do you want to read the synopsis uh, for this one? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Okay. A psychopathic 12-year-old girl in a small town in Nebraska recruits all the other children and goes on a bloody rampage, killing the corrupt adults and anyone else who opposes her. A bright high schooler who won't go along with the plan is the town's only hope of survival. Interesting. Wimmer, for those who don't recognize the name. we got to talk about Wimmer. Director of Equilibrium and Ultraviolet. And this is his first movie since 2006. Although he yeah, did... because his his last movie he directed was Ultraviolet. Yeah, <laughs> not, not very good. I liked Equilibrium. Back but he did. But he's so he cool. has it written has some cult. hits. He's hit, he's written. Cult. He's written a lot of stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Law, Law Abiding Citizen, Salt, Total Recall, the reboot, uh, <laughs> Point Break, the reboot, as well as Spell. I mean, is Wimmer enough the of a Sphere adaptation? Stay tuned for Crichton Cast coming back in the market. Did he do Sphere? Oh. Yeah, and he oh, did wow. the Thomas Crown Affair. 
I love and hey, that's a really good movie. No joke. The re- yeah, the recruit with Colin Farrell. Not a good movie. Uh, that's not a good movie, but uh, <laughs> but no, I think this resume is really fascinating. Also, if he well, he looks- wrote Sphere and he wrote the Thomas Crown Affair, so he didn't yeah, direct he didn't it. Direct. Yeah, he didn't right, direct right, them. Yeah. His directing okay. is is not as as uh, I think impressive. I think Ultraviolet was a big. I don't think people were going to hand him the keys to the kingdom after that one. But I don't know. Have you seen photos of this guy? He is a Quite jacked, right? <laughs> This guy he's from is. Hawaii. He's from Hawaii. Yeah, he's got that. He's got yeah, that he's shaggy handsome. hair, that Jason Momoa vibe. This guy, I I want to hang out with him. Uh, he's he's got like a total babe with him in like every picture. Yeah, I'm looking up I to. will be his wingman. He, I bet, I like, bet he could get. I bet he could get. Who is capable Bidalia. of writing a Point Break remake? Let's get Kurt. That's the look he's yeah. got. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. Because he's my, probably thought that he was on the original set with uh, Pat. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's my issue with the with just a children of the corn remake in general yeah they've either remade the movie like they did in 2009 or they've done sequels that are supposedly like throwbacks to what the original should have been and every time a director does it they always say oh well you know none of the adaptations have really nailed what made the story so great and mine's gonna do that and blah 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 i don't know if he said this maybe he has maybe i don't he think hasn't. he has no no I, I hope he hasn't um, i don't know if he's done too much press yet considering it hasn't come out yet, when so. they and they just they all suck like i watched the 2009 one and i was like this is awful i mean mm. it was a little bit closer to the story than the other ones were but it, it just and, it, and also too there's just not much to that short story i love that short there's story not. but it, it's not you need to build a whole world around it which that's a hard thing to do well, so I mean, um caffrey have you seen urban harvest or <laughs> no actually i haven't seen urban corn harvest. two or corn I've seen, four i think three of them in total I th- urban I've harvest seen the first... usually the best maybe like a two <laughs> out of five <laughs> um well here's the thing so this is this is obviously see if they said that dan if he said that about this movie though it would make no sense because this is clearly about what happens before the short story. Well, maybe I, well, you know what? We're saying all this stuff about what this and this and this, but Mike, you actually seen the movie. Right? I have you seen can't the movie. talk about it. I can't talk about it. Okay. But so I'll you say, stay out of this then. <laughs> the one thing I will say though, is that it's going to be worth discussing. Okay. Because if, if you've learned anything from our lobstrosities episodes, which if you're thinking, wait a second, what the hell are they talking about? Lobstrosities episodes? Well, Go to patreon.com slash the barons and you can listen to us go all in on corn two, corn three, and recently corn four. And there's a commentary learn, for children of the corn as well. And there is a commentary for children of the corn too. <laughs> and we have more fun talking about these movies than we do actually watching them. True. And having watched this movie, I did have fun watching it, but I'm so excited to actually talk about it because there's a lot that we can have fun can talking I ask about you with this, this? movie. Hmm. And if you can't answer, that's okay. Because this is my big issue with the other ones. Is it boring? No. Okay, all right. Mm. No. That's and all that's, I ask. Yeah. Just all don't ask be boring. Just, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, the thing I love about these movies, and especially the directed video ones, is that they do take me back to a time when, it's like, that, it's like that era that we always talk about in the early 90s when, before horror got like in vogue again, where people were just getting weird. And like <laughs> the sequels, the, the children, of the corn movies, and, and also sometimes they come back, they're fucking weird. It's like, how do yeah. these exist? Mm, yeah. And I, and I kind of like that because we don't get that anymore. Everything has to be like preordained and, you know, committee driven. So to Franchise get a movie, driven. Yeah, yeah. So mm. to get something that's so weird and kind of like, why did they make this? I kind of weirdly nostalgic for, um, crudity that again, <laughs> like, it's like, I, I'm like, it's like being hungry for shitty food. 
if that makes any sense. <laughs> you just want, yeah, you want corn like bread. a... Yeah. Um, a well, I'm also looking chips. forward to, maybe I'll, you know what, maybe I'll you watch You want like a tonight. hearty sandwich. Yeah. We got, you could we watch it tonight. Some yeah. advanced uh, screeners, and I will watch it. Maybe I'll talk about it when we're able to talk about it. But you're, you are right, Caffrey, that the, the, the biggest and most confounding element of this entire, the fact that the biggest, quote-unquote, franchise to involve Stephen King has been corn. The children of the corn stories. <laughs> when most really, the children the, from the corn. Like the, the, <laughs> short, the, the short story it literally feels like a chapter from another novel like that just never happened. Like It's just like, oh, here's the, the last three chapters of this story because you literally are thrown in with this couple well, that are having a bad no resolution. Time. They just there's die. None. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's, it's such a good, nasty story, and I love the mythology that it points to. I will say the one that came out in 2009 – it kind of did do most of the, it hit most of the beats that the story does. So I guess it succeeded there, but it just goes so far off the rails by the end of it. And it ends from what I remember. They, I think they make, I think they like kill one of the main characters and make them into a scarecrow or something. And from what it's I remember, like the short story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I've, I'll have to go back and rewatch <laughs> it, but I remember just the little corn kid, what the little creepy little one, corn kid, him, little I piece of popcorn last, runner. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little little candy corn. I think this. Uh, I think the very last shot of the movie, no joke. I think they reveal that this woman has been turned into a scarecrow, and I think the kids just staring at her. Which would, that that would be a fine place to end. Just cuts a black of there. But from what I remember, I'm pretty sure he points at her and just goes scarecrow. And then oh yeah, you love that. Like he taught her. Yeah. I'll I'll define it to, me- to see if I'm remembering it correctly. But I just thought it was like. I was like, it's so weird. It's just, oh, this, it's that bizarre. sounds as anticlimactic as the Rage Carry too. Which the, the, oh, you just yeah. recently put on for... I kind of like the Rage, yeah. I like it's not the bad, other... but the ending is very curious. Yeah. 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 Zachary Ty Bryan gets his balls cut off. Well, that's it's great. Awesome. Yeah. You won't yeah. any complaints for me about that. <laughs> you know what's also great? We know what also Mr. Boshman? Well, Mr. Boshman's back. Um, and specifically, <laughs> Rob Savage's Mr. Boshman. So... After almost two years, after almost two years of, of hearing about this movie, longer than that, when you think about the development hell this has been in, um, we got a bales worth of the Bo- the Bozeman on Sunday. Uh, we got the, the official Bozeman. poster and we got a two minute trailer, which popped up during the NFC game as King promised earlier last King week. Lied. And uh, he did. it wasn't yeah, the NFC just game. He, no, said... because it was, it was during the NFC game, but it was only the part where the girl looks under her bed and it says, Go online right now oh. to watch the full length trailer. Well, hey, it's still okay. So then, at least it still popped up in the, during did, the huge did. thing. So the, the the reason why I bring that up is because that's kind of a hell of a placement, and I think it really kind of shows, uh, you know, a little more confidence on behalf of 20th Century Studios, who yeah. obviously is giving this a bigger push than we intend than they intended. I mean, if you recall, this is really only supposed to be on Hulu. They're going to just drop because it on Hulu, horror and now makes it's coming, money, man. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. I mean, uh, and now they're it. putting it out on June second, which is arguably probably the biggest Stephen King date that we've seen since summertime. I mean, since 1408 when it was released in June of 20, or 2007. I mean, this is a big date. So, um, let's talk. You know, before we actually talk about the trailer, Caffrey, you're very kind enough to actually write the rundown. Um, yeah. So do you want to like kind of go through the the rundown of the trailer? Yeah, I'll just give a little summary. Okay. We won't. We we will not be doing a Halloweeny style uh, Easter egg uh, 
hunt or anything like that. So yeah, we start off in the house of, and it was good because I watched the trailer with the subtitles, so I knew who all the characters were. Oh, that's uh, good. Of Do- that's good. Doctor Harper, uh, who is the psychiatrist, of course, from the sh- uh, short story. Um, it's his house. He's tucking his younger daughter in, and she talks mm-hmm. about how she's afraid of the boogeyman. Um, so he checks the closet for her. He says nothing here. Monster inspection complete. He leaves the room. She hears the noise again. She sees her closet door opening and shutting. And then she looks under the bed. It's actually a pretty cool shot. Like the camera goes upside down with her. She rolls this little globe light down there. And we see, I'm assuming, a flash of whatever creature the boogeyman Mm -hmm. is. Um, I will say the trailer is good about not showing Mm -hmm. too much about what the boogeyman looks like if there is, in fact, a boogeyman. So we just see this little flash of movement there and then we cut to the title card with uh stephen king um and then we hear someone named rita talking now if uh if you are an astute reader and listener you'll Mm -hmm. know that rita is lester's wife in the short story and Mm -hmm. she looks pretty traumatized she's talking about the myth of the boogeyman talking about how it's been around forever ever we see a bunch of creepy shots as she narrates um dr harper has another daughter uh sophie who's that's the girl from yellow jackets right? Yeah. 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 yeah yeah um She's looking for the boogeyman in the kitchen. Uh, she There's a hallway of candles. And then she's talking to the younger sister that we saw in the opening about the boogeyman and whether or not he exists. Um, they have another shot of some movement at the top of the stairs, along with like vines uh, mm. growing alongside the wall. And obviously, you know, I'm just kind of guessing what these things mean. Um, but I think it's the boogeyman. Uh, so, yeah, and then we get a psychiatry session between Dr. Harper and Lester Billings, who's played by David Dismalchian. Dismalchian. Yeah. Chicago's so we have... So we have both. We have all the characters from the novel there, and um, or the short story at least. And I'm wondering if it starts off maybe with that encounter, where yeah. where it it starts with him, and then maybe follows the doctor a little bit more. Even well, though the doctor, uh, spoiler alert, but we've done this episode. The doctor is the yeah, the that's in the interesting, short story. right? Which yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. Here's the thing. I th- it's like the children, children of the corn. I mean, it's from the same collection. All they really have to do. Is have these two have a psychiatrist, have a doctor, have there be a boogeyman, right? <laughs> like that's enough to be from the source material. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're, um, I don't think they're gonna go. I, I mean, I don't, I think they're gonna have to expand beyond that, right? They so, have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, so he, so Lester's talking to him about the boogeyman and his experiences with it. More creepy shots. We have Sophie looking over her sh- shoulder, running from something. She's the younger daughter. Uh, another group of kids investigating the house. Um, and then this was interesting. I, I think this was a kid. There's like a shot of someone getting sucked into this like magenta vortex. But I could not understand. That's yeah. what I thought. Maybe a TV or like an aquarium. I wasn't quite sure. And then um, uh, the younger sister asks Sophie. Sorry, Sophie's the older sister, not the younger one. The younger one asks Sophie if she believes um, believes her. And then this is pretty creepy. It's the final shot. We see like this shadow just rise behind her, which I'm assuming once again is the boogeyman. Cut to the title card. Um, yeah, so I here's the thing. I some things give me pause just in that, like in my mind, once again, I'm saying, okay, are they actually really adapting the boogeyman, or are they just kind of retrofitting a story to be the boogeyman so they can attach the Stephen King angle? However, I love Rob Savage as a director. Same. It does look like we're gonna see some technical prowess from some of the shots we got in the trailer. I love all these actors. Um something I'm curious about and I guess we'll see is, is that I think the boogeyman is one of Stephen King's nastiest short stories, mm-hmm. like just really relentless in, in a way. And not that I need the movie to have all this child death and have the exact same ending, but I do kind of wonder, okay, is Lester going to be as unsavory as a character as he is in the novel? Probably not, but that's something I'm 
I'm sort of wondering about because Rob Savage can do nasty as we've seen. Oh yeah, and well, I mean, there's there's last year's dash cam gets fucking nasty. So yeah, so I'm curious. What there's do you think, a Justin? shot in the trailer. I mean, it's really quick, but you do see a crib. Oh, do you yep. really? Yeah, yeah. And a hand yeah. on the crib. So I'm, I'm assuming yeah, so that will be something from the, the short story. I'm excited just because of the talent involved. Uh, like I, I'm always interested in anything Rob Savage does, um, and I do love the story. But I, you know, we haven't always had the best luck with. Uh, Short, short King or Joe Hill stories, for that matter, that get expanded into these bigger narratives. I think sometimes the filmmakers run out of things to write about. They run out of scope. Or once again, it just becomes apparent that this wasn't originally a King thing. They kind of try to fit it into there. But I'm, I am, I'm still excited, though. The trailer looks spooky, and I like Savage. I like Dismouchy and all that. Well, Mike, what about you? Well, it's fitting that we talked about Corn before that because that we just talked about how, like, you know, that it was a little bit on that, and now we got 11 movies out of it. So yeah. I... It is. I do think that this is. He's going to be using the short story as a springboard. I've been thinking about that for a while, and the fact that today was the first time I really looked and saw that they're actually using the names from the characters in the short story because um, mm-hmm. that was really ex- surprising to me. Because when I when it was initially announced of it uh, with the synopsis, which this here's a synopsis. Still reeling from the tragic death of their mother, a teenage girl and her little brother find themselves plagued by a sadistic presence in their house and struggle to get their grieving father to pay attention before it's too late. That, when it was first released, everyone was like, well, that's not the boogeyman. Like, that's, it's a little bit of a twist on what's actually happening. So I figured that it would be building on the short story. Like, maybe they would be referencing the story that we all know and, and love from, from Night Shift. And based on this trailer, and as you already pointed out, Cavi, like I do think that that's what's going to be the case. Like I would not be surprised if, kind of like how Smile that came out last year, you had that origin story to kind of springboard into their own person's narrative. I think that th- that's what probably they're, what they're going to be doing with Doctor Harper is that yeah, he's going to handle this, and then it'll go into his own thing. Like it'll follow him. Because we didn't see a brother in the trailer, did we? I was going to say that too. Maybe they replaced it with a. Little they might have. Yeah. yeah. I, but I yeah, that's that, what that's what uh, I was thinking. Like, we'll see the Lester stuff as kind of the front half, and then yeah, yeah go to the doctor. I think that I, we can talk about the Boogeyman short story. Right? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Sorry for it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, month two of the podcast. Yeah. Um, seven years ago, it was seven years ago. I still think that <laughs> this, this movie will end how if all these people. Are, I feel like the movie will still end how the short story ends because the Boogeyman's got the mask. Remember of Doctor mm-hmm. Harper. So I think that'll be the twist, right? I think it's going to well. End that would be ends. cool. So that ugh, I was thinking about that. And that was one of the questions I wanted to throw out there is that, you know what that could veer into easily is metaphorical horror. And I, and I will lose, I don't, I think this I'd rather it loses didn't. it for me if it's not <laughs> yeah. the real boogeyman. Well, that's like, why I was like a little bit when I read that synopsis and I'm like, oh no, the word grief is in there. Yeah. Like, like, um, <laughs> grief and trauma. I, yeah. But, but I fair, love in the short story. That's he's going through the grief and trauma. He like, is. The death yeah. of his... <laughs> it's true. But <laughs> there is generally be, a boogeyman there. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Show yeah, me some, is. show me some good stuff. Yeah. It's like, I'm very optimistic. I love Rob Savage and, um, I've loved everything I've seen him do so far. The guys who wrote it, it's like the quiet place duo yeah. who guys who did that. And then it's, um, the guy who wrote like black Swan, um, did a oh, yeah. Scott teams. So, no, not Mr. Wait, teams. Scott teams. No, 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 no. Thank God. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I looked at the. Oh, Mark resumes. Heyman, right? Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wasn't a huge. I like Quiet a Place. Quiet place. Fan. It yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's fine. But, I mean, yeah. I'm not like. Yeah, the, they've. I've seen some of their other stuff though too, and it's pretty good. So it's you know I feel confident with the screenwriters. It's I'm I'm I feel like there's a lot of good talent here. It oh. looks like it could fall into a lot of like modern studio horror trappings, like based on uh the look of it like but 
I'm, I don't know. I'm optimistic. It looks like a fun time at the movies, which is oh. all I really ask for. I, think, I mean, uh, it is It is a big departure because for Savage, you know, his first two movies are found footage. That, so this yeah, is his, say, his first right? straightforward film. And like, you know, Kaffer, you pointed out that one shot with the underground, you know, twirling 180 under the bed. That's something I've never really seen from him. You know, yeah. like I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do in that, that case. And I will say he is a huge constant. I mean, he is a constant reader. Like I remember when Host first came out, and he was doing some interview about it and like a fucking creep I saw in the background, like on his bookshelf, he had like a bunch of Stephen King and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So like when it was, when he was announced and he was ta- attached to this, I got excited because look, as we've been, been, you know, as I've certainly been bemoaning over the last few episodes when we've talked about movies and Hollywood King episodes, I, I want like a really solid director doing these movies. I want something that has like a really cool vision or has some sort of style and he has a style. Now, I don't know what that style is going to be when he leaves the found footage area but like judging from this trailer it looks like there's there's at least some finesse to it like it doesn't look too much like a i don't know um so the gary doberman movie yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know um so and also too i I like that he's getting these kind of opportunities too because i mean he's truly innovative he i mean host was something that he just i I think that was like one of the greatest feats of filmmaking actually you know what we talked about Pop you know, culture, horror that references the pandemic. That's like one of the few that yeah, I guess, does that yeah, really yeah, well. I agree. Um, so I, I also just like the fact that, yeah, as a horror filmmaker, as someone who's original, as someone who's given us a lot of good, uh, pardon the word, but content, I like that he's getting this shot, right? And I do mm-hmm. feel much more comfortable with him doing it as opposed to like, yeah, James Wan or someone like that. I'm, uh, I'm always wary, as I've said before too, about full-length movies adapted from short stories, you know? So... He's gonna have to do a lot of work with that, obviously. Hopefully, it works because that short story is so creepy, but it's simple, right? It's just mm-hmm. a, a guy yeah. talking to his therapist about what's going on, and then it has that great ending. Here's a question for you guys: Get from Justin's point, what what's can you think of a full length movie that's based on a short story that goes against that trend? I mean, obviously, you have like the raft is good, but that's like a short short segment within. That's what I'm saying. It's still a yeah. short story, right? I'm trying to think. Like I'm trying to think I mean, if there's sometimes they yeah. come back was great, and that was from a short. That's story. a really good yeah. job. With and that. the movie's better yeah. than the short story. Yeah, I like the I movie better than I agree the story. Well, I guess Shawshank. I mean, Shawshank the book is still like a yeah, it's a novella. Yeah. Um, yeah. Angus is okay, and that's a short story. Angus. <laughs> Angus is based on a short story. Yeah. Oh, with George C. Scott. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Oh, I mean, Scott's an Angus. Yeah, yeah he's, he's his grandfather. grandfather. Yeah. Does he play yeah. the kid? He, he oh, does. Lord. Well, I'd love to see that though. Actually, they're like you know, <laughs> you pull put like a shaggy wig on him. Oh, <laughs> he's, no. like, he's like, I like Green Day. Um, <laughs> go get him, Angus, and it's like this aging man dr- dancing with Lex from Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay, I'm looking at I'm I'm on Letterbox.com. Thank you for the no sponsorship oh, Letterbox. Yeah. But I am looking at my personal king rankings. <laughs> I mean, in terms of short stories adapted for the big screen, mm-hmm. like I think 1408's okay. I like this movie 1408, but it's the the book. It's impossible to to adapt that. Is yeah, the the mist is a novella, right? It's, it's a novella. A novella. Yeah, yeah. yeah, doesn't count. What I'm saying is that's it. Nothing else has been good. Like Mercy's one of the worst movies of all time. The Mangler's <laughs> bad. But what about non-king? Um, what about non- Oh, well, non-king, I mean... Well, there's Angus. Angus, obviously, <laughs> as we talked about earlier in the podcast. Angus is Angus okay. Is it's great. not great. It's yeah. not, hor- not horrible. It's well, it's okay. good. It, it, but Angus is better than 1408. 
That's true. I would, yeah, I would put. Well, um, I don't Stop know. pitting movies against each other. Fourteen oh eight. It's got. You know what? How about this? Angus has got a better soundtrack than fourteen oh eight. Oh, I love the that Goo Goo Dolls song. Yeah, the, uh, the Angus um, soundtrack it, was fucking lit. What if we love? millennial cringe? What if Let's we talk do about Angus' soundtrack for a second? What if, All right. what if we yeah, do kidding. a Patreon? Oh, a oh, Patreon. I just want to say though, this, I've been waiting to say this since we started talking about it. <laughs> Good. It is crazy to me. If you had told me this three months ago that this was going to happen. There's going to be a Stephen King trailer during the NFC Championship game. Nope, it's He's not going to be fucking Salem's Lot. It's going to be the Boogeyman. I know. Yeah. Well, that's that what is I... crazy. And, 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 and you know what? Maybe we're saying this too soon. Maybe Warner Brothers is going to debut the trailer during the Super Bowl. But I just yeah. don't think that's going to happen. I there's been there's a no lot of talk. Well, there's no date and there's been no discussion. And Warner Brothers, I mean, granted, I think they're pretty focused on DCU right now, just because it seems like James Gunn's going to be announcing a lot of shit this week and all. And I'm sure they're trying to figure out that because there's a lot of things in I, flux I wish there. Them all the best. Not to mention Zachary Levy. Like they're, they're going to have to deal with that fault. Oh, no. oh, yeah, they're they get losing Ezra their mind. <gasps> they're losing their minds. Ezra Miller, uh, but, Zachary Levy. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. so tough beat. Yeah, fun times over DC as usual. But um, so I feel like they have priorities there. But it is kind of weird that there's just been absolutely like nothing zilch about this movie. And so I there's been a lot of talk that people are thinking that they, they might write it off. Although they, I feel like David Zasloff said that those write offs are behind them. So I feel like they're yeah. it's probably going to come out. I mean, it's going to come out. I think. Um, are there, is there a vampire in the DC? Like there's Morbius in the Marvel. They could, I mean, you have, they, you have Dracula himself. That's right. You know, they wow. might as well just ta- tailor. I was going to say fold, fold DCU and Stephen King yeah. or Salem's I mean, Lot get, into each other. You've got Dracula and Marvel also. You have Tomb of Dracula. Well, um, I mean, this Dracula is basically, just everywhere, this guy. If this happens, this is when I find the, the tallest possible bridge I can jump off of. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. We just all get together and watch it, and then we have fun. No, That's we all get two out of the four of us who have threatened uh, to kill themselves at some point in this Yeah, Well, listen, well, if you got Dracula, Marvel's Maverick. Dracula, and Foley into Stephen Look, King books, that's, that's so a wrap. cool, though. That's so if, cool. I'm, all I'm saying. I, oh, God. Look at Lobo March, over here. Logo and Lobo. Cujo get together. If they open the letter Sheriff again, Lobo. and they go, everything, everywhere, all at... That's for me. That's I'm. It's gonna happen. There's no Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick has to win Best Picture, no or I won't way. be here uh, come the end of March. I'm just joking. Mike, um, I'm gonna send you some DJ Khaled videos for inspiration. Oh, my favorite, my favorite mascot from my from the Let's from all just Miami fight about heat. who should win Best Picture. Yeah, to be hypocrites. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so I'm looking. No I'm kind of looking again at the, the your question because I'm trying to challenge this because I do feel like there's, and I do think that the only one I could think of is sometimes they come back, but. Is there? I'm just missing like because graveyard that, shift sorry, is not that good. Is the better one. Have I not rated? Sometimes they come back. Is that why it's not showing? You up might. It might not show up then. Yeah. It's also a TV movie, so I don't know if they. Oh, that's that's why. But that's why. um, anyway, any other thoughts? I mean, I will say you mentioned Salem's Lot. I think this automatically becomes the most exciting thing for me in King's Dominion this year. Like even over Holly. Like I'm I'm really excited for this because I I yeah. I love Rob Savage. Like I. I'm not just trying to see there as a Rob Savage stand, but like, I, you know, I thought Dash Cam fucking ruled. I know everyone was not allowed to well, talk about it last year, but the fucking movie ruled and didn't pull its But punches. I think we're like, like, like that's why Skinamarink was so exciting, yeah. like, and remains very exciting is because, uh, and then, um, and the fact that it was playing in AMC theaters and stuff like that. And mm. then even Megan, like, these are movies that are doing different things and yep. it's so fun to see them succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we are, I think we are due for a horror 
rehaul in terms of how mm-hmm. studios are approaching it. And the good thing is, I think that there's a lot of good signs. Like it's making a lot of money, so that means that they might allow themselves to experiment a little bit more. And and also a movie like Skinamarink um, making money in the way that it did Terrifier Two making money. These like indie things that have been succeeding. I think that that can only be a good thing. It is for. Yeah. For us, I think a, a studio horror template that's getting a little stale, and I hope that. And Savage, obviously, his previous two movies are—they were found footage movies that were innovations and steps forward in that realm, uh, ones that felt fresh and exciting, despite the fact that that is a format that you know can be also be very stale and be used to mm-hmm. not great effect. So I, I don't know. He's he's shown that he he can work with small budgets really well. Now he's got a big budget, and we'll see how he does with that. But I mean, I'm 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 very optimistic. Yeah, I'm I, prediction: if this movie's successful, given the wraparound and the easiness of of this uh, of the boogeyman, the titular creature, does this become a franchise? Oh, listen, this there's there's going to be like the boogie. Even that awful movie, the boogeyman that came out in the aughts, that's know, the King like, has sequels. I mean, yeah. it's sequels, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be it'll be like the boogeyman, the boogeyman two. Then ten years will go by, it'll be boogeyman. Yeah, <laughs> based on the short story by Stephen King, I can see it right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. boogeyman origins. BM. Oh my god. <laughs> BM origins. Oh BM lord. Origins. Oh god. <laughs> bowel <laughs> move. Bowel movement origins. Uh, <laughs> I wonder Beaumont if forever, is like Beaumont is back. Do you think? Do you think in twenty sixty one, um, we're going to be talking about uh, whether or not boogeyman. Uh, twelve is gonna outdo the the Children of the Corn franchise. Like, hey, you know, do you think that there's a possibility there. Well, I think that's one of the reasons they wanted to do Boogeyman, right? Because it's like it's so you easy can to throw you can throw Stephen King's name on it, and a yeah. Boogeyman can be fucking anything. Exactly, yeah. that's, it's just a thing in the closet. Like it can be anything. And well, so that's I, liars, you know. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Just it used to be. Halloween um, again. As a matter of fact, yeah. it was. It was a long time ago. Um, it's a backdoor pilot for Halloween. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jason Blum's going to be like, well, look, Rob, this is we, a great idea. And we've got we're the formula. We've got the guy. We got the, and you know what? We've said that Halloween ends in 2022. Well, it's coming back in 2025. <laughs> Halloween and begins. It, be, it begins in 2025. Uh, God. It well, begins. Meet Beaumont. Beaumont, the boogeyman. <laughs> He's slimy. He's tall. He, he's got a few bad deeds or something like that. And he's coming at you June 2nd. Go he's get gonna, him. Coming to he's spring. Gonna, he's going to tweet. All right, guys, I admit it. Look, Michael Myers is in the new Boogeyman movie. Now leave me alone, okay? That's always, that's always how he tweets. He always tweets yeah, like he that. Always like does these, like, he always does these like teasing tweets now that are like before things. Like when Megan placate. was coming out. Yeah. He's like, well, we want to thank, thank, thank everybody for the support of the Boogeyman. Specifically, those under the age of twenty-five. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, that's what the demo they were going for for for, for Megan. But uh, anyway, I you know we only did our preview three weeks ago, and I want to say that since then the year seems to be shaping up. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited. Are, like I think I was we were heading into this year a little bit like, uh, you know, like the media space as it relates to King is not looking great, and then I think. We're feeling heartened about Holly, and we are optimistic about um, Boge. about Boge. And then we've got a new corn that to look forward to. That Mike's says there's plenty to talk about. That's all we're going to say. And, and maybe we get this Cujo slash sequel slash whatever it's going to be short story yeah. novella whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious about that. And maybe of course, it was scribbed exclusive. And of course, 
Salem's Lot, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Salem's Lot. Hey, look. Fun. Well, yeah. regardless, we're gonna have fun talking about it. Oh yeah, we always do. Oh, you know it. I'm ready. We're ready. Don't you worry, Gary. I'm ready. Right my fangs. <laughs> fangs. You're gonna sink your teeth into this one, right? Oh, in the Lord. jugular. Uh, Justin, what is going down over in the Halloweenies in February? Let's take. Well, we'll be away. talking all about Michael Myers' introduction into the Boogeyman. Oh, great! First, can't wait. Uh, well, we're definitely doing a little movie that we like to call Child's Play Two. Oh wow! Uh, we're be covering that. Chucky's back. Chucky's. Uh, sorry, Jack. <laughs> Chucky's back. Of course, was the tagline for that movie. Am I on that episode? You teased me. I believe, yeah. Randall Colburn will be our guest for uh, Child's Play 2. We have a great story about seeing that in theaters (laughs) that we will regale on that pod. It is a great movie. Uh, Very fun. And as for the rest of it, I'll I'll let you know when we know because we've got a meeting tomorrow for the Halloween. (laughs) We'll be talking all about You're all invited. (laughs) We should just live stream our meetings. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're they're, they're sometimes longer than the episodes. I mean, they're like these pods, honestly. We, it's funny we have kicked around that idea of just doing that with with in general for both pods just being like when we are on zoom meetings just record them and throw them out there and, and see just how <laughs> some of our grotesque. best materials when we're just being morons on just, on zoom hey that's how these oh, podcasts i also came say to be. Uh, but you, we've got a lot of um commentaries and deep dives into movies that aren't necessarily franchises on our patreon over there at halloweenies which is patreon.com backslash halloweenies pod check yeah. it out just dropped our Invasion of the Body Snatchers awesome. 78 conversation, which Cafe, we were on that for like, what, three hours? That was a three-hour episode? Yeah, that was a good yeah, episode. That was, that was really fun to revisit. Hot take. Love that movie. Really good movie. Really good Whoa, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No cunnilingus think- uh, from Sutherland, but it's still a good movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you guys think that, uh, do you think that Salem's Lot, will, the new Salem's Lot will be better than Body Snatchers 78? <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, Philip Coffin's gonna Philip Coffin's gonna show up to the Salem's Lot screening because he'll still invite him and just be like, no. he'll be like, I could have done better. I think you need to get the stake out because Philip Coffin's rolling in his grave. Yeah, <laughs> hearing yeah. that comment. Oh Lord, um, Caffrey, what's the latest for you? You got you got any uh, projects popping up in uh, Brooklyn? Uh, not in Brooklyn currently. I have a I actually have a short horror play going up in West Virginia. Oh uh, hell yeah! The, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. The Voices of Appalachia Play Festival at Greenbrier Valley Theater, which is the state professional theater of uh, West Virginia. Same one that went up here in New York. Uh, is Michael Myers in it? It's a little. Uh, not Michael Myers, but there's maybe Super another. Stuff. There's maybe another little monster in it. Ah, and, Mr. Um, Bozeman. Well, oh, let's sh- say let's say he's a little hairy and. Um, oh wait, is it the yeah, leprechaun? He gets a oh, uh, he gets in a bad. He is mood a little when, hairy, isn't he? Yeah. he? He gets in the bad mood when the the moon comes out. Uh, oh, so it is leprechaun. <laughs> oh, what a fucking yeah, asshole! That goes up. Uh, yeah, me pot of gold. <laughs> that, that goes up. Uh, I think it's. I'm not gonna be able to see it, unfortunately. But it goes up um, February. I, I think 27th and 28th. No, sorry, 24th and 25th. It's at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in West Virginia. So check That's it awesome. out. Get tickets. Yeah, Greenbrier. Oh, I just like wanna, the leprechaun. I just want to say something real quick. Sorry, uh, Green Phil hat. Kaufman is actually still with us. Yes, so I was gonna do say not kill like, him with a steak. <laughs> I was just fine. gonna go with it, considering that we, you know, we kill off people all the time on these podcasts. We really but, do. We really do. Yeah. But we I'm only sure he's bring him back. The comp, though. I'm sure he's thrilled. He's he's totally thrilled. Randall. Yeah. What's next for us here in the Losers Club? Um, a lot of stuff. This is gonna be a big month. <laughs> One thing I want to say though, well, our book. I'll just start with that. Is a little book called Cell. Cell. Very contentious. Very divisive book. I think. Well, not even divisive. I I've never met a Cell 
I've met cell defenders. I've never met somebody who's like cell rules. Hmm. So I've never read it. So this is exciting for me. Oh, you never read it? No, oh, this is shit. one of my my big blind spots. I could see I've, this being a Colburn classic. I might, yeah, I think I could dig it. Although there is like two dead dogs in like the first two pages. So yep, rough start. But I'm I'm how I'm far how far it. are you into it right now? Um, I'm like sixty pages. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's yeah. fun stuff. Still, it's great at that point. <laughs> I enjoy it well less. Rough start. R U F F. By the way. Yeah. So we're spoiling y'all. Mel and I are spoiling y'all with our On Writer series. Uh, we just talked to Brian Evanson, who is an incredible author. If you don't know him, please listen to our episode. We actually talk about video games and stuff, too. So if you're like, books are stupid, um, we talk about Dead Space because he actually wrote... <laughs> books are stupid. He wrote a book. He wrote, like, he's like the kind of... Like, when I was a kid, I read, like, the Independence Day, like, novelizations and shit, right? Because I, I, I love that. And I feel like that's, like, a really great way for a lot of people... To like find their way into books is like oh I'm going to read these oh, novelizations. Totally. They've kind of dropped off, which is sad. But Brian, who has written incredible like literary fiction and is very celebrated, like the guy's got a fucking Guggenheim. He's also written books that take place in the Dead Space universe, uh, which is a video game, and then also books that take place in the Aliens universe. And so he is a uh, he's he's a man of many talents. And anyways, I'm just encouraging you. That episode is out. Go listen to it. Mel and I had a great time. But we're doing another on writers in February uh, because Paul Tremblay, the author of A Head Full of Ghosts uh, and uh, Naka, or what, what is it? A Cabin at the End of the World, yeah. which is being made into an M. Night Shyamalan movie called Knock at the Cabin. Mm-hmm. We talked to him about his, about Knock at the Cabin and Cabin at the End of the World, as well as his latest book, which came out last year called The Paul Bearers Club. And he also gives us an update on the Headful of Ghost movie as well as other projects that he's got in development. So it's a really good episode that's coming out uh, very soon. Uh, we're going to be unlocking a, yeah, uh, uh, we're going to be unlocking a Patreon episode where we talked about the X-Files Chinga, which was written by Stephen King. Oh, I was uh, on pretty, that episode. Yeah. And then uh, for our Patreon uh, crew, this is going to be, <laughs> you can find us at patreon.com slash the Barons. You're going to want to be around for this because we are doing an episode called the sweetest slice, uh, Stephen oh, King's gosh. best sex scenes. It's pound. It's all pound cake all the time in this episode. Cake. Well, to be fair, and, we, we gave you a little taste of it at the beginning of this episode. We did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before we get canceled, but you know. Yeah. yeah. So this is, it's going to be really good. Uh, and then also <laughs> on the Patreon, Jen, who is going to be debuting a new series that she's going to be doing on the Patreon called King's uh, Character Corner. And it's going to focus specifically on one character every episode, and she's going to have a guest on just to kind of really, I think, peel back the layers that maybe we didn't even get to in our episodes as long as they are. There's just much to discuss. And she's starting, as is her, uh, as you might expect, with a little character named Charlie McGee from Firestarter. Lots to discuss there. And then finally, um, on the main feed... I'm, I did an interview with one of my oldest friends. Uh, his name's Laramie Dean. He is he just published a horror novel called Black Forest, and he is one of the smartest people I know when it comes to discussing the intersection of queerness and horror. And so we talked a little bit about uh, queerness as it exists in King's work, where it, and then the ways in which uh, you can sort of apply queer theory to uh, the works of one of the straightest writers that ever lived. And we kind of uh, had a really fun, I think, spirited conversation about all of those things. And yeah, that's going to be out as uh, a little bit later too. So packed month, uh, we look forward to uh, you engaging with all of these lovely episodes. Well, wouldn't you know it, seven years strong and busier than ever. Mm. So uh, look, gentlemen, I've is had it a fun seven interview. years? I thought it was a. 
season years. seven. Oh, so six years and seven seven seasons. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, we're in like seven, six, the seventh like six year days, right seven nights with uh, <laughs> Harrison Ford and the late Anne Heche. Um Great movie. Go find it. <laughs> Um, is it good, really? No, I have a fun time. It's fine. It's a fun <laughs> rental. Come on, like it's it should have yeah. been Indiana Mike Jones. Mike gets like really upset. Fuck you guys. Come no, on, no, but it's, it, it's not a great movie. But it's, I don't want to get confrontational. But I will say, I think Angus is better than Six Days and Seven Nights. That's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah, it's fine. They're I think both they're fine both movies. Like Saturday afternoon movies. Yes, you know? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Would I kill to have uh, that age Harrison Ford make an Indiana Jones movie at the time? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's not the the world that we got. Instead, we got a uh, you know, I think around that ta- that time, Spielberg was Dude, doing. Dude, he's Amistad. ninety years old and he's doing another fucking Indiana Jones. Yeah, like, that's the problem. You got what you wanted. I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted him to do a fucking good Indiana Jones movie that we we're probably going to get with Mangold. Maybe I'm not going to jinx that. And I would have liked that in the late nineties, but instead we got, you know, random hearts. Hey, Sidney Pollock, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been fun. I've had a fine evening here in Hollywood King, but as uh, Randall just outlined, we've got a lot of work to do. So if we're going to enjoy the sweet treats, the sweet, sweet treats that, that uh, February affords slices. us. The sweet slices. God, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get to them. Uh, so until then, we'll be seeing you, constant listeners, over long days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.